It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. 1850-715-996, the number to call. The text or WhatsApp is 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96mm.ie. Twitter at opinionline96, of course. And the Facebook, the Corks 96mm Facebook page. Pop us a message there. And just mark it for the attention of the opinion line. If you missed anything in the first couple of hours this morning, you'll get them back on the podcast, which we put up during the afternoon. Viv is listening in Spain. Buenas, Viv. I couldn't agree with you more regarding daft rules, PJ. The rules due to be implemented from Friday. But despair not if you think that stupid decisions are only made in Ireland. Holy Week, obviously, is next week. Uh, kicks off in Spain. And anyone who's ever visited knows that the Spaniards take Holy Week to a whole new level. And they do. They have festivals for Holy Week. It's a really, really big week for the Spaniards. But due to COVID, all citizens are forbidden to travel by car outside of their own region. Which is effectively be a bit like you're not allowed to travel by car into Kerry. But get this. This is great, right? I can't hop in the car and go down to Malaga for the celebrations. However, I could fly out of Madrid to London or Frankfurt and then get on another flight to Malaga for the processions and the festivals, have me a few glasses of wine and soak up a bit of sunshine. Go figure that one out. <laughs> that's brilliant. That's a bit like me not being able to drive to, for argument's sake, not being able to drive to Kerry. But I can get the bus or I can get the train. Yeah, that's a bit daft too. Thanks, Viv. 1850-715-996. Now, yesterday morning, I was chatting with Denise um, from the Chubby Mama on Instagram about the various bits and pieces on her Instagram. And she's interested in all sorts of things. And we were talking about finance and she was talking about saving schemes for people. And she told us where her own interest in savings came from. And we were chatting about the dodgy tiles in the bathroom and how she got four of the dodgy tiles up and then they wouldn't fit back into position for some reason best known to themselves and how she lost blood, sweat and tears trying to get them back there. And that's, we just had a great chat. But she came up, she had a, a thing called placental encapsulation. And I asked her what that actually was. It wasn't done when I had Luke, and Luke is eight. It mm. wasn't a thing. And then when I went in to have Evie, my second, who's four now, it was just starting to become 
something that was done. Good. And I would have struggled. I mean, as anyone after your first baby, you don't know what you're doing. You yeah. haven't a clue what you're doing. So yeah. I look back and I'm like, yeah, I would have struggled a bit after that. So I decided to do it on easy and see how I got on. And oh my God, the difference was night and day. So well, this uh, is the, the placenta is that part of you that feeds and nurtures baby. Mm-hmm. And then when baby's born, you use it to feed and nurture you. Yeah, exactly. Crazy. And it really does have a massive range of benefits. And I mean, I swore by it. I knew I was going to do it with Charlotte, having done it with Evie. Um, and I'm still taking them now. I still take two a day. I still have loads. And the girls are lovely. You should definitely have them on PJ. Yeah, yeah. Where can you, you can hear me there. Absolutely incredulous. So, now this has been around for a while, but hey, it's been a while since I was having children or anything to do with them. So they take away the placenta after baby's born and they turn it into tablets or capsules that you take and you take them. I need to talk. Lisa Cotter, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Tell me about Placenta TLC. Yeah, so um, I suppose we're a core company and we're two mothers ourselves and... um, we, we've been working, we've been in business together for three years, actually, this month. And uh, separately, we kind of were doing placenta encapsulation um, uh, for the last number of years. I would have started around 2012, and I think Trish was maybe three or four years, three years after that. Hmm. Um, so we've been looking after mothers throughout Ireland um, since then. So we'll talk about what it is in a second, but who, yeah. who first, like it's all these great ideas, mm. who first thought that you could do this? Um, well, I, there was there was women in the UK doing it, and there was one woman in the UK training people in the UK to do it. And she came to Ireland and trained a couple of us here on the process. And um, I, I only I, I when I trained to do it, I was only originally going to just do it for myself. And um, I just kind of said, I'll just see if any. I, I I just made a Facebook page to see if anybody else would be interested. Um, and I think Ray Darcy started talking about it on Today FM and somebody contacted me and then it just kind of started that way. So um, it, it was almost by accident that I ended up doing it um, to the extent that, that I did. Um, right. But it, it wasn't done in Ireland pre, pre, prior to 2012. So you take the placenta from mm-hmm. mother after the birth. Yes. And you turn it into capsules. That's it, yeah. So it's, it's about the size of a regular paracetamol is what you end up getting back in capsule form. Yeah, but how um, many would you get? So it all depends. Like They come in all different shapes and sizes. Uh, so usually like um, the average is between 120 to 150 for, for, like, for an average baby. And then if you have a big baby, then you will get more capsules. Yeah. Um, so you could end up with 200, sometimes 300. If you have twins as well, you'll get loads of capsules and um, it, it kind of works out great for them because they need them with two babies. <laughs> and as I said to to, to, to Denise yesterday, this is obviously the placenta fed baby yes. and looked after baby Yeah. while baby was growing inside mom. Now it's effectively going to help mom. Yes, yeah. Wow. Like I, I suppose most mammals actually would um, consume their own placenta, and I imagine a long time ago we would have all done it naturally, and then obviously it became faux pas. I imagine um, it became the wrong thing to do. Um, like I know in African places, like those the tribes will just it will just be consumed, and in China it's just consumed, and there's no second thought about it. But maybe here in the Western world, uh, it it became um, not the done thing. 
Um, but then people kind of started looking at it, thinking, you know, if maybe it will help. And it does, you know, it does help women on the other side, which is um, which is a great bonus. Yeah. It's become very <laughs> famous, of course, among um, celebrities. Celebrity moms, yeah. Celebrity yeah. moms. But, like, is it costly, Lisa? No, I mean, for Cork mothers here, um, it's €220, and that includes everything. We send you everything you need for the hospital, and we come to the hospital and meet the the partners afterwards to collect, and we also drop back to the hospital then. um, If you're still in hospital, we drop back to the hospital on the morning of your discharge. Oh, how Um, long does it take to do it? So the the longest turnover is 48 hours, but sometimes we can have a turnaround in 24 hours or a little bit more. It just depends on what time of day baby's born and things like that. Right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And it's a machine does everything, I take it, is it? No, no, we do everything. (laughs) We're very hands-on. So, like, the machine does the drying out part, but, like, we do the prep work and then the machine dries it out and then it's ground down into a fine powder and the capsules are made by hand then in a, in a small machine but it's um, they're hand filled and everything, yeah. Really? And how yeah. popular is it now? Yeah, well, for the last couple of years it's gone very popular. Um, like I always say, um, like a, one happy mother will always say it to another woman who's pregnant, listen, have you heard of this? Um, and so, like, since 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 we started a long time ago, it's it's, it's it's gone crazy, you know, and mm. we would, um, we cover nationwide as well, myself and Trish. So, like, we have babies coming from all over Ireland um, at any given day. Mm. Yeah. And how are they about it in the hospitals? Or do yeah, you do you have to tell the hospital that you're doing it? Yeah, well, you just, you usually, um, the mums will let the, their midwives know that they're keeping their placenta, but there's never been any problem in any of the hospitals. And, in fact, lots of midwives... Um, in CUH in particular, because we know a lot of them, but they, a lot of them have done it themselves. Right. Um, and, and they found it amazing. Like, And sometimes we can even get calls from the labour ward because they've been chatting to their midwife and they'd say, oh, I never heard of this. And they'll decide to do it, like, you know, there and then. Okay. Um, so, yeah, no, the hospitals are very supportive, which is great. Okay. So if anybody wanted to, like, do you have to let your, you, you and... and um and your partner know months in advance or weeks in advance or what? Yes, like we we uh, ideally we'd like to know in advance so because we need to send everything to you so that you can keep your placenta chilled because that's the most important thing is that right. it's kept chilled after the birth. So we need time to get your kit to you now. Obviously, what we kind of take, kit do you send out, for example? So we have uh, we have a really thick thermal envelope, um, and then we have a long lasting ice packs that are in it. So technically, that envelope can be used. And once um, once it's sealed, um, it can be kept for forty eight hours at, at an optimum temperature. Um, so it's um, that's posted to you, and then all our instructions are on the on the ice pack as well, um, and details for the the dads to fill in, like the time of birth and things like that, are all on the kit. Um, so yeah, it, we need to send that prior to baby arriving. Gotcha, gotcha. It's fascinating. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you're right though when you think about the. If in older times, and I think in many parts of of the world, yeah, you know, it would be, it w- and in the animal kingdom, it's yes. a done thing. But it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh. like I actually got to do it myself. So, um, like I had, I did it on my third baby, right. and like not just because I'm doing this for a living. Because I remember when when I was doing this before I had ever tried it myself, and I was like, I wondered was it actually as good as I thought. But the difference was phenomenal for me personally, and really? I had a to- I had two toddlers. I had a two-year-old and three-year-old at home, um, mm. and I I just had my newborn, and he was feeding on demand every two hours, and I was still 
looking after my other two girls. Right. And um, I was, I felt great, which was completely different yes. to my other two. Of course, all this, this, yeah. this mound of nutrient yes. that you were yeah. using to feed baby, baby's yeah. finished with it now, but the, it's still nutritious. And, and Exactly. Wow. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's I have, I, I have to say, I'm, there's every day is a school day in this, in, in this business. There you go, there you go. If you're right. not learning, you're not living. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. So if anybody does who's listening, yeah. who does want to, to um, look into it, look into it, where should they go? So um, we have our website, um, www.placentatlc.ie, and we're on Instagram and Facebook at placentatlc. Okay. All right, Lisa, thanks very much and continued success with Placenta TLC. I tell you, the things you hear about. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Hidden Hearing, tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 On Cork's 96FM. Helen says, My daughter in law did that, and she found it absolutely fantastic. 1850 Thinking about it there during the break, it's kind of the ultimate form of recycling when you think about it, isn't it? 1850-715-996. Now, there was a letter in the Irish Times in the last couple of days from Padre Rice. Uh, I said, sir, as you do, to the editor of the Irish Times, the government has allocated €46 million Euro for the construction of a new library and public realm in Cork City Centre. The 21st century library should not just be a library of books. It should be a Library of Things. It's a place, or it should be a place where you can borrow a guitar or a sewing machine or a chessboard. Such libraries are common in other countries, but unheard of here. That's a very clever idea. Jude Sherry knows a lot more about the concept of a library of things. I guess here in Cork we have already have a library where you can get not just books and periodicals and magazines, but you can get records and CDs in the Rory Gallagher Music Library, but this would go well beyond that. Jude, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on. It was, it was, yeah, it was, it's just most unusual idea. It, well, it, it is and it isn't. I suppose we're, as humans, we share things and, and share things. It's how we got, society has got here. So sharing is, is, is quite, not, comes quite natural to us. So I, I totally agree with Project Rice that a library and a library of the 21st century needs to go beyond just just books. As a, as a library is a space to learn and as a space to be creative, it should be in a, create inclusivity for us all to to learn and and be creative. And that can come through not just books. The music also, as you said, shares uh, music, 
Mm. Um, the library also then shares musical instruments as well. So it has a, a president for sharing products. Mm. Um, so then that could go wider into things that we can learn about, like cooking or learn about gardening or mm. arts and crafts. So there's a whole variety of toys as well. I think there are a number of toy libraries around Ireland already. So there's a whole variety for a future library can offer. Yeah, Is this something that is across Europe and other countries? It is, it is. It's across Europe and across Canada and the US as well. So I'm sitting on the advisory board for a library of things in Wales that are currently expanding out across three different cities at the moment in Wales. So it's and what sort of things do you have other than, say, the obvious books and records and music and things? Everything from camping equipment to sewing equipment to... Um, Anything you can think of, mainly things that we don't use very regularly. So not something you'd use on a weekly basis. So things you may need only once or twice a year right. or even on a monthly basis. So it can, it, it can get quite, I suppose it really depends on what a community's needs are for products. So that can be very varied. Right, so something like a sewing machine, for example. Exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah. So sewing machines is even even in the Netherlands is a closed library where you can sign up as a member and take four or five different outfits for the for the month. Oh, clothing! So wow, clothing! Yeah, yeah. So there's there is already there's a lot of apps as well around clothing um, and around products for high end designer stuff, but even just on a, on a daily normal clothing. So I I wouldn't see that necessarily in a library per se. I think a library maybe should focus on. As I said, educational and creative tool, creative products, but there is there is a huge variety of what can be offered. Right, and what, like as you say, is there a limit to what you can put in there? I've obviously stuff that people would use infrequently, and then who pays for it? Well, that depends on the model a library of things wants to take. So, for instance, in Benthic, they they use a combination of donated products. So people have a lot of stuff lying around their houses already that they don't use. So people can donate stuff that they don't use. Um, but also then you can work with the community to see what other stuff can be bought in. And there's a variety of grants available. If there's, it's making the space available to do that. And under, with 46 million going to a new library, mm. I think it's a massive opportunity to develop that library. It already has, we already have 3D printers in our library. So even just developing that out further, making sure that there's a space that, that can store products and, and facilitate sharing of products. Yeah. yeah. The, the Welsh, the, the Welsh project that you're involved in, um, yeah. They're obviously way ahead of us, so we could learn from them. They're, they are our nearest neighbours, if you like. Absolutely, and we can learn a lot from what's regularly borrowed there, what people are looking for regularly. So there's a lot to be learned from what does work and doesn't work. So that's definitely looking at existing models is a great way to learn. Very good, very good. Uh, so obviously now that the money has been pledged, the next step is to get government to invest in the idea. That's it, that's it, to invest in the idea and hopefully there's, there's some sort of public consultation on what the needs of the community are here for, for that library space and what could be included within that. So it's, it's, for us it's, it's making sure that it's, it's inclusive and that it's, it creates opportunities for as many people to learn and that will have a knock-on effect, especially as, as we come out of COVID and people's maybe employment is disrupted. There's a lot of tool libraries, there's an Edinburgh tool library which focuses on DIY tools, which helps startups then, helps people maybe start their own kind of DIY renovation business. So as we need to renovate and retrofit, there could be potential for that as well. That economic potential could be brought back into the city. Gotcha. All right, Jude, good talking to you. Thanks very much. That's Jude Sherry on the concept of the library of things, a library 
that which you could literally borrow anything you wanted. Here's a weird thing. What would you think would be the best and handiest thing ever put into a library? Other than obviously books and that kind of thing. So you wouldn't want to buy one. You wouldn't have the need of one in the house. But what would you borrow from a library if you could get it? She said there, there's clothes libraries in in Holland where you actually go in and you borrow clothes, borrow outfits. What would be, what, have a think for me. The clearest thing you could think of borrowing from a library. 1850-715-996. Here is a breaking news story. We'll hear more about this, I suspect, during the day. A man who killed a vulnerable homeless man by throwing him down a 40-foot rubbish chute in Cork has had his murder conviction quashed for a second time by the Court of Appeal. This is a three-judge court, of course. It substituted David O'Loughlin's murder verdict with a manslaughter verdict, having found that there was no evidence he intended to kill or indeed cause serious injury to Liam Manley. He was convicted of the murder on the 12th of May 2013 and then there was a, a retrial at the Central Criminal Court in January 2019. And then Michael O'Higgins, senior counsel for Mr O'Loughlin, said his client wishes to apologise for what he did and to thank the court for the careful consideration it gave to the case. Uh, O'Loughlin will appear before the Central Criminal on Friday where a date will be set for a sentencing hearing. But that's a very interesting Cork story, the tragic story of Liam Manley, who was found at the bottom of a chute at the uh, apartment, the Garden City Apartments in Cork, back in 2013, May 2013. And David O'Loughlin was subsequently convicted of murder, and that's been overturned. 1850-715-996. As I say, I expect to hear more from that particular story uh, later in the day. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. If you need a Tuesday afternoon, pick me up. I got just a thing for you. From 12 o'clock, I'll bring you all the biggest tunes, everything Cork and show we'll have a bit of crack on the radio as well. See you from midday here on Cork's 96FM. When you're walking with your doggy and it does a doggy do, just remember what your doggy does belongs to you. You mustn't walk away from your doggy's doggy do because the doggy do your doggy does belongs to you. When walking your dog, pause for thought. Bring a bag to clean up after your dog. Brought to you by Cork City Council. Cora Carora Kirky. Mabs, the money advice and budgeting service, is aware that we're all facing difficult times, with many people's financial circumstances changing overnight. We want to reassure you that our free service is open to everyone, and our experienced staff will support you and deal with any financial concerns you may have. You can find your local Mabs office details at mabs.ie. 
or contact the MABS helpline on 0761 07 2000. All costs depend on operator bundles, funded and supported by the Citizens Information Board. Save more this Easter at Lidl. Try our deluxe Irish Angus round roast beef joint. Was 11.49 per kilo, now only 8.99 per kilo. Raise a glass of our award-winning champagne, down from 19.99 to 16.49. And our deluxe handmade Easter eggs are cracking value at only 6.99. Make more of Easter at Lidl. More for you. Enjoy alcohol responsibly. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Reminder for you that Saturdays at 96FM.ie with all the excitement of the Premier League. It's back on the 3rd of April, which is Saturday week, which is uh, Holy Saturday. Trevor Welsh back with a whole day of live action again, all powered by Talk Sport. You get all the pre-match analysis, the live commentary, exclusive interviews and post-match breakdowns with Trevor and the team. It's the Premier League Live online with now streaming all the action from Sky Sports with a now TV sport, a now sports membership. Listen Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or indeed go to 96fm.ie Premier League Live all powered by TalkSport on Cork's 96fm Did you see that documentary last night? We mentioned it yesterday as we were signing off from the programme the documentary called Mohrev My Tribe about dance music and the the whole dance music culture in Ireland and it was focusing quite heavily on Sir Henry's I didn't see the programme last evening I was uh, stuck in other things as it were but from what I saw on my timeline, people who actually remember Henry's as it actually was and who were actually there weren't actually very impressed. Catch up with uh, Shane Hennessy who worked the doors on the Grand Parade Hotel complex for many years uh, when it was at its peak and when Henry's was the biggest name on the nightclub scene outside of Dublin and I'd say at one point Shane probably the biggest name on the nightclub scene in the whole country in terms of dance music and house music and what it did but I remember playing in Henry's before any of that started it was a unique place good morning good morning PJ it certainly was it was iconic in its own way to be honest with you um, there were good times, there were bad times, but ironically itself, it, it, it went to all spectrums, you know, mm. and it went above and beyond. I think it was voted second best club in Europe yeah. on two or two occasions. But besides that, I mean, it, it was just iconic in its own way, to be honest with you. If you saw it with the lights on, and it, you'd think, absolutely. what the hell? Because <laughs> with the lights on, it was just a big shed, basically. That's exactly what it was. I, mean, I, I remember people even trying to climb in through the top of the roof, trying to get into Henry's, you know. When, ironically, the, the uh, queues actually went down to the end of the Grand Parade, you know. I mean, it, it was, you know, right around to the fountain even. And it, it, they were queuing for hours to get in there. But you, initially they were going in, obviously, white, white clothes and whatever, and it came out black. I mean, it was absolutely filthy at times, you know. And, and they still loved it, no matter what it was, you know, regarding... You could the, smell last it, night's crowd. Yeah, you know, when you were in there for. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know yourself, like Henry's itself. Like, I mean, you had the back bar as well, which yeah. made a bit of alternative music as well. If, if you actually think of it, Jerry Lucy was beyond his time. No, oh, Jerry was it, away. It was Jerry, the, Jerry who had the complex. This idea they had for Henry's to turn it into an alternative nightclub. Yeah, like 
that was vision. That was serious vision. Let's it was. Fair, you know? Was I mean, he, I, was I, he I booked Nirvana? I, pardon? Nirvana played Henry's. That's correct, yes. I mean, I yeah. talk to people younger than me who are lifelong Nirvana fans, and I yeah. tell them that I saw them play in a nightclub in Cork, and they look at me and they say, go home, you're drunk. Yeah, but we did. We did, and like, you, you think of the, the people who came there, like, and they were charging big, big fees even at the time. But like, Havana were probably the biggest group ever to go there, you know? Mm. I mean, like, you later on, you the Sultan's opinion, whatever, and a few more. And then you had Laren Garney coming in and Carol Cox and yeah. a few more, who didn't really charge a whole lot. You just, lo- you just actually love coming to Henry's, you know? Yeah. They flew in from all back. It got such a name at times. I remember actually walking in O'Connell Street one day up in Dublin, and uh, I was walking with my wife, and I was walking on O'Connell Street, and next thing all I heard was, uh, hey, uh, are you saying? Are you saying for Henry's, you know? It was like everyone had a bit of start in yeah, there. It was, it was <laughs> great. Talk to me, Shane, about the start of the dance thing in there, though. Greg started, was it Thursday nights, the sweat? It was, it was Thursday nights. It's totally Thursday nights. different. It was totally different. You, Greg and Shane, yeah. And you, Stevie G, who came later on as well. But now, I wasn't there for the very start of it, I have to admit. Mm. But uh, I came later on, about two or three years later on. But they, I mean, like, it, it was Thursday night sweat, and it was it started off with small crowds, and then it just, it just blew to all, all expectations, yeah. you know? This then was new music that Greg and Shane had brought back to Cork. And yeah. remember telling Jerry and, and got my old friend Dermot Brady, who was around at the time, yeah. saying, This is a totally new thing for Cork. And I remember going in to listen to it because I was gigging in, in, in another part of the building and going in to listen to it. I don't know any of this music. I have mm. no idea what's going on here. Yeah. It all sounds the same. It, it's yeah. just, this is never going to last. How wrong yeah. was I? Oh, big time. I mean, like you, you had that on a Thursday night. And then you had Freaksina on, 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 a, on a Friday night. Oh, yeah, and then brilliant. you have it back again in the dance on a Saturday night. You know? Yeah. And the ironic part of it, you had four different venues of four different cultures and the one night and the one premises, you know? You had, you had, you had. Because I, I mean, you, you had a KLE going down in the village. That's right. Below, that's, and you had that, dance stuff. That's there, right. You know? But you know what happened with Greg's stuff as well? Because I ended up around the same time. I used to play Fridays and Saturdays in there after bands. And what happened was Greg would start playing songs on a, on a on a Thursday that he'd brought back from London, and then they'd break mainstream. So you found the stuff was starting on a Thursday night, and then by Friday Saturday night, like I remember some some of the, some of the real sort of more commercial house stuff. Greg was playing them months earlier. And then we took them over and played them at the other club nights. It was such a a starting point. Like very rapidly, I realised this is the way it's going. This is huge stuff, like. It caught on so quick, you know. I mean, the, the one thing I loved about Henry's was the different variation of people. Mm. You know, it, it wasn't just for, it was for everybody, you know. Yes. I mean, like, you look at today, the people who went in there now are probably all solicitors and barristers and, you know, they're working the bus, they're building sites, whatever, you know. Yeah. But there was such a variety there. And the one thing I did love it, people used to always kind of give, oh, Henry's is an awful place. So it was actually a fantastic place. There was very little trouble in there besides outside there on maybe in the streets. Yeah. But apart from that, there was nothing, you know. I mean, the, the, the music itself was just, it, it was the attraction. Everyone wanted to go there, so everyone behaved. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, you know. And, and, and that, you remember as well, we all talk about people going to Ibiza, to the clubs there, and going to the Costa del Sol, to the clubs there. People came to Ireland to go to Henry's. Absolutely, they did, yeah. I mean, if you, if you even look back now, 
And I was only the other day, I pulled out the drawer the other day, I saw the passes for the weekend passes, you know. Mm. And uh, what, what I could never understand is why people, someone didn't buy that and actually renovate Henry's itself, you know, and take the hotel. They were saying you had to buy the hotel as well. Yeah. Whereas for, for me, buying the hotel would have been the ideal situation because you, you could have the people who were stay, who came from foreign countries staying there who wanted to be part of that dance, uh, that dancing all weekend, Friday to, Friday to, Friday to Sunday, and it was just non-stop 24-7. Yeah, yeah, and they used to do that as well. On a big yeah. weekend, like a jazz weekend or something, they big would open Henry's at 7 o'clock. Correct, and the tickets were sold out in a week. Yeah. And that's no word of a lie at the time. They yeah. were sold out in a week, and it was like 20, and it was 24-7. I remember I was actually working for the health board at the time as well, and I'll be honest with you, I was getting like three hours sleep if I was lucky, you know? Oh, yeah, and no. it, was, it, was, it was that mad, you know? And it I have to say that, like, I, I've heard people, and I've met them since, like, I mean, I'm the same age as you, PJ, right? And I, I, I generally speak, oh, Henry's was an awful place. It was absolutely unbelievable. It was brilliant. Like, it, it was, un- you've got, there was, I don't think I've ever been in a club like it in my life, and I will, will be, I'll be honest. Do you know the pure cork thing about it? And again, it is something that, it's pure cork in itself. The ball and chain. Yeah. A song... Yeah. That had nothing to do with Cork whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> nothing <laughs> becomes an anthem for the city, driven yeah. by Henry's and the crowd and yeah. the fact that they were playing this song. Nobody else was playing it anywhere. Yes. And it became the anthem of the yeah. club. You saw Probably. that evolve as I did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. People were coming I, I, across I, to me in Shandles going, Will you play the ball on Shane? I said, Jeez, oh, <laughs> that's over there. Come on. Yeah, yeah. And honestly enough, you know, like you got LGB and whatever, they started there as well as such, you know what I mean? And like, like I'm going with Chronic Seeds is a bad thing as well. Like, in there, no one cares. No one cares who you are, what you are, what yeah. you did, what you didn't do. You left all your troubles at home and you went in there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, I think that we're great to criticize um, our own, but. People don't actually realise how big Henry's actually was. Oh, yeah. you know, it was it was a phenomenon, and it was incredible to be to be part of it. To even gig for an hour on the other nights after yeah. a band, and the, as 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 a working DJ at the time, the one thing that used to happen with us sometimes we'd get a bit bored with the standard twenty thirty songs that made up a club <laughs> yeah. night. But in Henry's, you could play anything. You would be asked for anything. I remember one day in the, in the back bar, and I, 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 I remember at the time, I'm only judging from my side of it, but Greg and Jim were fantastic you know, in the back bar. Next time we did into the, the song, the song, the music, you know, in the back bar, you know, and I, I started laughing because I, I, I would have been a big trad man myself personally, you know. Yeah. And it, for me, like, the, the, it was a big music change, but you, you learn very quickly as I had to, right? But generally speaking, like for me, like going to the back bar after this dance night, and, listening, and now I'm listening to the song of the music, yeah. which people would have looked at me stupidly and said, you know, this is Henry's are playing the song of the music. Yeah. <laughs> Eclectic didn't even begin to go there. And yeah. I think we only realised as Cork people, a bit like everything else, we only realised what we'd lost when it yeah. went... I, 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 seriously, but you see, you, you had a lot of issues too at the time, and I don't even want to get into them, but there was lots of issues, you know what I mean, uh, regarding like who owns a hotel, who, who has it, what's going on there, whatever. But that was the sinister side, the sinister side of every part. But generally speaking, oh, you'll always look to the positive side of it. Whether it was good times, whether it was bad times, it was also fantastic good times. And like I said, 
But the amount of trouble I had in there, I could count on my hand. There was serious trouble was yes. on my hand. And apart from that, there was nothing. And I will be generally honest. I know people were probably about there was there was this going on, there was that going on. It's going on everywhere. It was going on everywhere then. And For a premises of its size and the crowds that the Grand Prix Hotel attracted, the level of actual trouble in there was very, very low. And I worked in there for yes. nine years. I don't care what anybody yes. says. The level of yes. actual trouble was very, very low. I absolutely agree with you 110%. And it, I, I get very annoyed when people start talking to me about it and they say, oh, that place was this, yeah. that, you know. I, I said, I'll be honest with you, I worked in there a long time. And I, I said, I worked up nearly towards the end. And I said, I, I will be bluntly honest with you, I have rarely seen any trouble, real serious trouble, you know. You talk about uh, the music and how when, when, when it, Greg... It started- all about the all, when Greg started playing the stuff he had and Shane I remember at the start like I said it was about five weeks later I realised Jesus I better start buying these records and trying to get my hands on them because they're going to go places <laughs> getting, getting them was the other. there was an old lad wasn't there he used to come in that's correct <laughs> no there was a lot of stories I actually went inquiring about a lot of that and I, I was always saying well, it's always leaving in right because I, I actually got on ground but apparently he was the next guard but apparently he was looking for his daughter, apparently. Now, I'm not 100% sure on this, but this is what I heard, that he, he, he came in to watch everyone. Some said he was a bit of a pervert or whatever. He was just, he sat there every night. He never caused anyone any trouble. He never went, everyone spoke to him. Yes, but right. he just went up on the right-hand corner by the stage and he watched everything. And uh, someone said he was looking for his daughter. His daughter, his daughter went missing for us oh. and never came home. Yeah. And that's why he used to come into Henry's every night. Yeah. And then at one stage he collapsed in there and whatever, and he, we took him up by ambulance, and he was back again the following Thursday night, you know. Yeah. And you know, there was, but you like for me, like you had guys who who started off there, like um, you know, like you had John Murray who was in charge of the band at the time, then you had Jerry Murphy who was a bus driver, and you know, there, there was all, there was all these guys who who were great, they were great characters, you know. Yeah. It was all about characters that time. I think we're kind of missing Alan Cork at the moment. Oh, we are. We are. We're, 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 we're missing a big, for when we can go back to it, we're missing a big entertainment complex where you had a, oh. you had a band yeah. in the bar, you had one particular kind of club off the bar, yeah. the courtyard in the summertime, an open-air mayhem. You couldn't call it a disco, open-air yeah. mayhem. And then Henry's, with them coming yeah. from all over Europe to be at Henry's. It was just something so special to be part of and great to remember it. I would, I would actually love now for even my lads or whatever. I would love them to have seen it. You know, yeah. I would yeah. love them to have seen it and and to. Uh, it, it was an adventure in there, to be honest with you. That's what's brilliant. And like I said to you, you, like you said there, you had a Klondike bar or whatever, and then it became streets or whatever. And you had, the, you know, you had a band going on there, and then you had freaks being upstairs, and, right. and like, and you had uh, the the, the uh, KD downstairs, and then you had, and you could Henry's wander and, freely. Really, yeah. all over the place, from one I to was, the other. It's crazy. For me, for me, at night time, though, I remember. I always remember when Carol Cox and and, and, and Garney were there, and there that at, at the end of the night, they go all down to the Klondike, or if you want to call it streets, more 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 recently, uh, to know the streets, and everyone wanted to get into, you know, to see him and whatever, and everyone was pleading with you, you know, can we see him? Can we go in? You know, can we stay? Can we not? You know, and you know yourself, like you know, DJ, you get these scenarios where you you have to kind of sorry, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, and you you love to leave them all in, but you just can't, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's it finished. The club is done. Whatever, you know. Yeah, no, but, it was great. Uh, it was great to be part of it, and and great memories for people. I think Shane, thanks very much. Good to talk to you, Shane Hennessy who was one of the security crew on Grand Prix Hotel for many years, where it wasn't just Henry's. Henry's was the one that had the big name. It wasn't just Henry's, but it was also the the Schrodweiler.
Again, that was another first that came in there, the Shroud Valley, and you had Chandra's or Club Oasis. They tried to rename it, and sure, it was always Chandra's and always will be Chandra's. And you had the courtyard in the summertime, which was pure and utter mayhem. Barfly, you fellas dressing up. Remember dressing up in this? I'm sure someone does. Remember dressing up in the Velcro suit and running along the courtyard and jumping up against the Velcro wall. The health and safety man would have a seizure now. But that's what we did in those crazy days. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. <laughs> Corkoy Poo says, I'm sorry now, but anyone who genuinely used to frequent Henry's wouldn't actually remember being there. There was that. There was that. Rob, where is this most gorgeous house? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Um, yeah, it's, in, it's down in Passage West, right across the road from, um, I suppose, the Cross River Ferry. It's a beautiful 177-year-old Victorian house that's kind of overlooking the harbour, which, which is giving me the most spectacular views ever, you know? Yeah. You're doing it on Instagram as you, yeah. as you renovate, but it was the view, wasn't it, that sold you the place? Oh, big time. I remember the first day... Uh, I came down to view it, and um, I came up. I came up the the steps up to the front door, and I remember I turned around and uh, I could hear the the auctioneer who was coming through the, the 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 house from the back door, and I was just blown away by the view, you know. And um, I remember thinking to myself, like, "Whatever you do, Rob, don't show you're too keen here now, right?" And uh, trying to calm myself down a bit, mm-hmm. and uh, and then when I when when he opened the door and uh, kind of brought me up to the first floor, there was a a bedroom, a spare bedroom, and I remember just looking out the window, and I knew instantly that I wanted to, I wanted to live here. You know, yeah, it's just massive, yeah. oh, spectacular. No, the level of work. How much of it are you doing yourself? So far, I've probably done ninety percent of it myself. Uh, it's been a tough, a labour of love, and a, and, a, and a tough haul because it's because I suppose the house is elevated. It's actually a very difficult and awkward fight to get up to. So uh, a lot, so all the floors on the ground floor had to be dug out by hand and filled into buckets, and then those buckets were carried down steps and you know they were emptied into a skip on the road about twenty foot down onto the road. So it was uh, it was tough going. <laughs> yeah, because you, you obviously you need to completely refurbish it, and and yeah. you want to put it under floor hearing, heating and all that. In the midst of it all, you found not only many many beautiful elements to to the house, you found a secret room. Yeah, I sure did. It was, it was, um, yeah. So kind of at, at the back of the house is a, an old coal bunker uh, system, you know. Uh, so there would have been coal would have been, uh, I suppose, delivered on say the road level, and there was a, a chute that you, they would have lifted up a kind of a, a cover, and then the coal would have went down into the um, into, into the coal bunker itself. And because the house was actually heated by seven fireplaces, mm-hmm. so it was a. Uh, pretty significant but then at the back of that bunker uh, there was another area and um, yeah so it's kind of it was all it was just all blocked up and you can kind of see there was just a small tiny bit, a bit of a gap and I was able to kind of look in look into it and I could see there was another area space about eight foot long and uh, mm. yeah it's kind of it was a surprise I wasn't expecting to see and I hadn't even decided what I'm going to do with the area yet or anything like that I, to be honest I kind of went away from it to concentrate on the interior of the house yeah. because how it's Priority one, I suppose. But uh, yeah, it's it. it yeah. How livable is it? Are you living in it at the same time? Yeah, I 
am. I am. Yeah. From well, I've been. I suppose I got the keys in September of 2019, and I moved in straight away. And uh, I suppose it's difficult to pay for rent and a mortgage at the same time, so I had to kind of move in. I made the decision to move in, and and then with the fact that COVID hit, then I had to work from home as well. So it's it's a, it's, it's my workplace. It's my house, and it's a project all in one. Yeah, and you, you've now got an unusual deadline, seeing as your latest post on Instagram, you've got a bigger deadline yeah. than you thought you had. Yeah, exactly. So my seven Katie are expecting her first child oh. in uh, September, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, you know, the pressure was already on, but there's just more pressure on now yeah. to, get, to get the thing up and running, and even yesterday was a massive milestone for me because we managed to, uh, we managed to get the underflow heating turned on for the first time. Oh, yesterday. brilliant. So, so that was a, a massive first step for us. Fantastic. For anyone who's interested in DIY or restoration of stuff or how to take an old house and adapt it for for the new world, it's brilliant. It's a brilliant Instagram and well worth a look. And I wish you the best of luck with it. And moreover, yourself and Katie, best of luck with the big news. Thank you, PJ. I appreciate it. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Quite a number of people just getting back to where we were talking about antisocial behaviour there in the first hour. And, uh, you know, the call comes quite frequently. Why can't they just get a battalion of soldiers or a truckload of soldiers to patrol places like Bell's Field? I am completely in support of that. I think it's a great idea. I'm sorry if that makes me sound like a bit of an authoritarian, that's fine, that's what I am, but we're in an urgent situation. However, we get reminded, and it's true, Tom says the guards won't call for assistance because it would be seen as failure and as admitting they couldn't control the situation. You see, the guards have to ask the soldiers for help. The soldiers can't just arrive there, it's the aid to civil power and all that kind of old stuff. Um... So they have to ask the, the, the soldiers to, to, to come in, and generally that only happens when you have a, a storm. Good morning, 1850-715-996 is the number to call. The text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. The email, opinion at 96fm.ie. If you missed anything in our first hour, remember the podcast will be ready early to mid-afternoon. Goes up on all your platforms, including... Cork's 96FM app and it's completely free. Great response to Sean. Councillor Mick Nugent says he's an inspiration. He is lovely fella. Lovely fella. Lovely gentleman is what you'd say Sean is as he uh, continues with his battle with fitness and trying to deal with the loss of his beloved wife in the middle of it all. You can't imagine the, the pressure on him and on his boys. On the care home and nursing home visits, Dee says the last time I saw my mother was Christmas Eve. All the wonderful carers have done the best they can, dealing with long shifts, exhaustion, scared residents and a horrific, cruel virus. So happy that visits can happen again, indeed. And as I said, I can't overstress the lovely photographs on the papers this morning. Let us look at the numbers before I go to my next guest. One of our, I haven't had this man on for, for a while. I'm interested to get his take on where we are right now. But yesterday, nationally, the numbers were 520. The disturbingly stubborn now. We had the, the jump to over 700 Sunday. And then yesterday, 520 nationally. Now, Cork yesterday had 16. And our five days moving average in Cork is 16. And our 14-day figure per 100,000 of us 
is 49, which is very, very, one of the lowest in the country. The third lowest, in fact, uh, just below Kerry and just above Kilkenny and Leitrim. Leitrim is the lowest in the country, but sure, there's nothing in Leitrim. <laughs> just, just, just saying. But last week we had 54 was our 14-day figure per 100,000 of us. And the week, and last month, 91. So we're still continuing to go down in Cork, even as the country struggles with the daily numbers. And looking further into those numbers, the, the, the country's in real trouble, or the county's rather in real trouble. Offaly is worst, with a five-day moving average of new cases at 29. But... 424 per 100,000 is its incidence. Longford the same. Kildare, Dublin, Meath are the top five. Now that's interesting because it was awfully Longford and Kildare, KLO. KLO, remember KLO? They were the regional lockdown that came in last year. They're now the most troublesome in the country. And Dublin, of course, has always been a basket case. Since day one, quarantine starts Friday. They'll be using, if we're correctly informed, and I believe we are, they'll be using the Travelodge out in Kinsale Road as a quarantine hotel for Cork. It'll cost €1,875 for a single room. A couple, 2500 A couple with two kids, 3220 And it has to be booked and paid for before you land in Ireland. But it's very, very flawed. I'll deal with the flaws in just a second. But let's bring in uh, Professor Jerry Killeen. Jerry, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Great. And good to talk to you again. Now, Jerry, looking at everything with the knowledge that you look at it, are we anywhere near getting out of this? And should we be worried about the way the numbers have stagnated? Uh, well, Oh God, that, that phone line is not the best, Jerry. And see if we can clean sure. it up. I'll just pass it over to you for a second. Pass it over to one of the lads there. See if we can sure. clean it up a little bit. It's a bit ropey, and I, I just want to get to spend a few minutes with with Jerry. Yeah, the exceptions to the rule with regard to the quarantine are interesting as well. Guess what? Politicians are exempted. There's quite a number of ex- of exemptions. The countries, well, half of Africa. Uh, South Africa being the most prominent one, Tanzania, Seychelles, Rwanda, Lesotho, Congo, Cape Verde, Angola, and then Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Panama, Paraguay, Peru, Uruguay, Venezuela, Australia, the United Arab Emirates, 33 counties in total. Uh, Not everybody. Let's see if we can uh, improve that to Jerry. How are you there? Hello, PJ. That's a lot better, good man. So where are we now? Numbers are very much stagnated. They have. Um, you know, it, none of us uh, were... We've got uh, the B117 variant in town, uh, which we're now more familiar with than we would like. And, you know, we're kind of in level four plus, I guess, or four-ish at present. So, so what we're experiencing across most of the country kind of matches. Dublin being... Uh, you know, a persistent problem, that's um, that's all predictable. I mean, you can go back and show you papers from the 1980s, you know, outlining the the relationship between 
kind of stubbornness of transmission and, and the size of urban centres. So, um, but then you've got places like Cork and, and Kerry and Leitrim, which just goes to show what's possible mm. and, um, and kind of gives a little bit of a lead that, that everybody in the country can follow. And then if you look at all the clubs that we have in the bag that we're not using, there's no reason why we can't get back to um, the kind of shrinkage rates we saw last summer yeah. by finding that sixth gear. And you know, taking Cork as an example, you mentioned 16 cases, which is a convenient number because uh, it's the power of two. So uh, if you look at that, you know, it would take us about a month in Cork to start seeing zeros if mm. we were shrinking our epidemic at the at the kind of rates that we that that we, we did last year. Well, interestingly enough, I started doing the maths on this at the peak of it in, in January. And what I had said was at the rate we were starting to come down in Cork, we could have been in a, in a single-figure situation by, by Good Friday. Now, we're, we're a week or two behind with that at least, but we're still on target if we kept doing what we're doing to get well down. Indeed, and, and I think one of the things that's going to kind of keep us there at the moment is basically the rest of the country. And so kind of um, these things work on all kinds of scales. So what we're experiencing in Cork is... You know, very similar to what we experience at a national scale, that you know one or two cases imported every week or two can keep your epidemic ticking over. So, um, so our our local travel controls are very very important. So, for counties that have really made progress, um, you know those the you know the five kilometre rule, but particularly you know travel between counties between computer hubs is very important to keep an eye on that, and it also gives you an idea of why it's so important to. To, to use those international travel quarantines because otherwise you just keep reseeding your epidemic yeah. and, and you never quite get there. I'll, I'll get your take on the quarantine system in just a second but with regard to the, there's a lot of pressure and a lot of talk now about regional variations to, to reward the hard workers at were of Cork and Kerry and, and places like that. Could it work, Jerry? realistically? Uh, yeah, uh, there's a few kind of You've got to keep your eye on the ball of a few things that really matter. And, and um, one of those is that, you know, particularly with these new variants, the kind of easing of restrictions that you allow yourself, they have to be very cautious, you know. Um, wouldn't we all be thrilled if we could just so, go see Granny and Granddad, for example? Yeah. You know, if we could get beyond our five kilometres and see, you know, see, see, see the beach in Garrison or something, you know, whatever it might be. Um, you know, initially, on, you know, until the whole country is, is back into good shape, and then build up regions. You know, it all works much better if Tip's in good shape. It works much better if Kerry's in good shape and Limerick is in good shape. And, um, and uh, you know, steady as she goes, but, but certainly um, that, that reward to build on positive examples. I mean, that's the heart and soul of public health and has been for yeah. as long as I've been working in it. Yeah. The quarantine system that kicks in Friday, first of all, it's taken forever to do it, but that, that's how things work in this country. But there's only 33 count countries on that list. Some nonsense, some spoof about you couldn't do it for EU arrivals or you couldn't do it for British arrivals. I don't know whether, whether you agree with that or not. But is it a half-baked quarantine system as we have it in front of us now? If it's 33 ca- ca- countries, then absolutely yes. Mm. So... Um, but you know, I think everybody in this country with any common sense knows that. So um, I just hope it's the thin end of the wedge, and that it will be rapidly expanded. You know, I mean, what the T-shirt says, you have to have a reason. 
let's say it's fine. If you want to have a short list of green countries, then that's Australia, New Zealand, Vietnam, um, and and that's about, you know, Taiwan, and that's about it. And I don't think we have any direct flights with those countries. So, uh, so yeah, and particularly with our common travel area, um, you know, the dangers of becoming a backdoor. Um, and then, you know, our nearest neighbour uh, has already produced two variants of concern. Yeah. They're halfway through a vaccination programme with delayed second dose. So, you know... Um, so I think, you know, the most, yeah, I'm obviously very worried about um, the Brazilian P1 variant. I'm yeah. worried about the South African B1351 variant. But, you know, um, our nearest neighbour would be my, my, my biggest concern Brilliant. over the medium term. Yeah, yeah. That's South African versus Brazil. Brazil Brazil is the one that came out of Manaus, which is just an, an awful situation. And then the South African one, they're fearful that it may be vaccine resistant. We don't want any of those gaining the kind of traction that, 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 that the British one has, do we? No, we don't. And I think, um, you know, they're here. Uh, they are containable, but it really doesn't ha- help when we've got a background of 500 cases a day. Yeah. So, you know, by the time we see those in our surveillance system, we would expect those outbreaks to be, you know, in and around 50, 50 cases in total. So, so you know, it's going to be easier to see those and really throw the kitchen sink at them once we get our level of transmission down generally. We still have the clubs in the bag. Um there are ways to do this. We just need to get on with this. What, what are those clubs and how would we play them? Uh, well, proper uh, decentralised outbreak investigation and containment led by our regional public health doctors uh, as consultants with yeah. full teams. We should know all their names. We shouldn't have to go through HSE Central to talk to them. Um, we all saw how fast uh, that kind of response worked in Offaly Kildare and, and leash the last time around. You know, it was a big outbreak, but it was suppressed pretty quickly too. Yeah. So we've got that. There's lots of essential workplaces we could still close. Um, you know, I think we could all go veggie for a month if we needed to. Uh, you know, that'd be 25% of your cases right there. Yeah. So, oh yeah. And then rapid antigen tests in essential workplaces that we can't reach with PCR. You I know, was reading so a list of countries, Jerry. there's a list of countries that are all using antigen testing almost routinely now. And we're not yet. Why do you think that is? Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I think some of the, I have to say, the broad plan that's come out of Professor Ferguson's team sounds about right to me. I think the appraisal of the situation, the tests, their applications, their limitation, for me, it looks right. I would just, I would like to have seen that rolled out months ago. So, um, so it looks like the right plan. It looks like not uh, using them in ways that are inappropriate because that can be dangerous too. So, so broadly, the plan looks right. And, you know, it's just, and I'd look at it more as, um, you know, reasons to be uh, optimistic. You know, there are so many opportunities we haven't seized, and yes. here's one that we can grab with we both hands. Do. How worried should we be about Germany and France? They're in deep trouble now. And again, of course, there's no quarantine from Germany or France we're talking about, other than going there yourself, going home yourself and saying you'll stay there. Should we be concerned about that? Uh, We should be concerned about everywhere, um, 
really, you know, because they're all on trajectories. And if you look at the trajectories they're following, take a look at Brazil. You mentioned the P1 variant, which absolutely ripped through Manaus over December, January, despite, you know, basically everybody, three quarters of the population having already had COVID. Um, and then eight weeks later, Brazil as a whole is in the same pickle. And it's it's really tragic to see what's happened yeah. in Brazil. And, and the fact that that trajectory is still going up. Um, so, you know, these things, they don't go away by themselves. Mm. Brazil is kind of, if you want, Jerry, the the nightmare scenario that people like you warned us about twelve months ago. That can happen. It, it, yeah, it, it really yeah, is. Lastly and briefly, the, va- the 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 fight about vaccines and your international experience here. I'm calling upon. We're all battling about vaccines, and there's vaccine nationalism, and fellas want not want to share this and that with you or me. That's going to get very messy if it's not sorted out. Yeah, and I, I actually uh, really enjoyed Michael Martin's views on that yesterday. I, I totally agree with. It kind of reminds me of a traffic jam in in Dar es Salaam or or, or Port-au-Prince. You know, for the first two that jump the queue, it works. If we all try to get around the traffic lights by taking a, a shortcut, then we all get stuck at the same traffic light. We all end up squabbling with each other, and nobody goes through. Yeah. So you know, there there are limits to the what the global supply chain can do on vaccines, and we're going to have to to live with that. Um, you know, the solutions are in international cooperation, and um, and we're going to have to build a plan around those realities. Okay, okay, Jerry, we'll catch up again. I, I sense from you that you're you're cautiously and very cautiously optimistic that we're near the end of this, but we've a lot of hard work to do. I think that's my assessment. Jerry, thank you very much. Professor Jerry Killeen of, of UCC. Uh, thanks, Jerry. 1850 I want to go to Rose b- briefly because we have an outbreak. We had one before, didn't we, Rose, up at the centre yeah. on by, by, by the airport there. What do you that's know? Right. Um, I know that over the last two weeks, another around 20 people, they say, uh, have been found positive. There's going to be more testing tomorrow. So in over the last week, that will be the, the third test in 10 days and yeah. um, that they are doing because every time they do a test, there's more people positive. This is the Conceal Road Accommodation Centre, just for people yeah. who might be familiar. The Direct Provision Centre and, of course, people live in, live in, in, yeah. in difficult conditions and it spreads like wildfire, of course. Well, of course, uh, these people are living on top of each other, you know, and uh, you have to see this small environment as a little town. You know, they're all people, different families, different people from different cultures who are living together, um, who are meeting each other. Some of them will follow the rules strictly, others won't be so strict. And then there are also the young people who, after a year of being locked up, basically, are getting completely fed up, you know. And that is what's happening. And I think it's probably not only in direct provision centers, but all the, the, the places where people are put together, like the homeless shelters, like, um, you know, travelers, amenities, things like that. I think these people need the priority. They need to be prioritized to get vaccinated because it's going to go on and on and on. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've been, I've been saying this now for a year, you know, do something, do something, get the families out. There's three families now, again, had, had to be uh, isolated, you know. And yeah. they, they, were, they were taking them out, weren't they, at one point, Rose, yeah. and they were isolating them in, in hotels. Yeah, but they, they still are. They still, they still are. are. Yeah, yeah, they take them mostly to Dublin. 
to get isolated in a hotel there somewhere. Okay. Yeah. All right, which is more difficult, more difficulty for them. It's more dragging them around. Yeah, the and and you have to imagine the people who work uh, while they are living there. Every time there's a letter coming under their door saying you may have been in close contact, because of course everyone may have been in close contact yes. with one of them, they can't work then for two weeks, you know, yeah. and they're very worried about their jobs, which is only understandable. Absolutely. Um, so there's there's a lot more playing there than just someone coughing or someone being sick it's a lot more than that okay. and uh, yeah yeah right. that's so, unfortunate uh, we had that situation before up at Kinsale Road Accommodation yeah. Centre the direct provision and now we have it again thanks very much that's Rose Dumont who has been campaigning for those people for a very very long time 20 cases or so there now three families infected and again they've got to be isolated and they're taking up the road to Dublin and in a place like a direct provision centre where they're literally living on top of one another it spreads like wildfire. What Jerry was saying about the meat factories, it's spreading in the meat factories again because it's the very nature of the atmosphere in a meat factory. It's spreading again. 1850-715-996. But I, very clear on what he said. This, this quarantine system as starting on Friday just won't work. What seems to be a huge flaw in it and Stephen Donnelly gave an interview this morning, which I didn't hear, so I put that sort of caveat on it. I didn't hear the interview with Stephen Donnelly this morning, but he seems to have said that they will, people will have to declare that they came from a country that's on the list. So in other words, if you're coming from, for argument's sake, Johannesburg, which is very much on the quarantine list, but if you flew Johannesburg Heathrow and then flew Heathrow Cork, for argument's sake, you're deemed as coming from the UK, unless you tell them you came from Johannesburg. Like, if that's not a stupid workaround, I I hope we're wrong on that. But people seem to be after hearing that from Stephen Donnelly this morning, that it'll be self-declaration of where you come from if you didn't come directly. That's utterly daft. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. If you need a Tuesday afternoon, pick me up. i got just a thing for you. From 12 o'clock, I'll bring you all the biggest tunes. Everything Cork and show will have a bit of crack on the radio as well. See you from midday here on Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96 FM. A bunch of exemptions on the mandatory quarantine which I'll go through and see if we can find the holes in this but it seems to have more holes than a Swiss cheese on first examination. But a reminder to you, this Friday, March 26th, is Daffodil Day in partnership with Boots. Very important day for raising money for cancer. And of course, because of the restrictions in which we now live, you can't buy an Irish Cancer Society daffodil when you're out and about in your 5K because they can't sell them in the street. But what you can do is go online. And you can go online by visiting the Daffodil Day shop at the website cancer.ie. 
This is a massive, massive fundraiser every year for the Irish Cancer Society. You see thousands and thousands in normal times of people wearing little daffodils on their lapel. But you won't this year because obviously they can't be sold under level 5 restrictions. So you go online and they're depending on you to do it. This Friday, Daffodil Day, in partnership with Boots, go on to the cancer.ie website and visit the Daffodil Day shop and donate whatever you can afford. Very important to support Daffodil Day. 1850-715-996. Some of the exemptions to mandatory quarantine. If you're involved in the provision of goods and essential services, fair enough. The course of your duty, like if you're a driver coming through our ports, because remember, these apply, the quarantine applies not just to to the airports, but to the ports as well. Airline pirates, airline pilots, pirates, airline pilots and crew, uh, shipping master, maritime crew, in the course of performing their duty, travelling to the state on an arrest warrant or extradition proceedings, and a member of the Gardaí, member of the Defence Forces, uh, travelling to the state, or indeed from any other state, police or soldiers, for unavoidable, imperative, time-sensitive medical reasons, which is... Fair enough. Politicians are exempt. Diplomats are exempt. Uh, But the list is only 32 countries. It's not the whole world. They say that it's a variable list. We'll see. 1850-715-996. Do you have a double somewhere in the world? A doppelganger. It's a word you might have heard. Uh, it's there have been books written about it. There have been films made about doppelgangers. Do you have one? We all might have one. Check it out next. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs, no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Archive 
Presented by the Everyman Theatre and written by Martin McDonough, A Skull in Connemara is the second of the Lean Ann trilogy that sees a grave digger on a secret task preparing to make a space in a local graveyard. This is a special audio stream from the Everyman Theatre taking place on Saturday, April 10th, with tickets available from the website. Access all areas. Cork Orchestral Society's online concert programme continues in April with a solo performance from Fingian Collins at the Curtis Auditorium. For more details and to check out the two concerts already online, go to CorkOrchestralSociety.ie. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us here at AAA at 96FM.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. At Credit Unions, fairness has always been at the heart of what we do. Now, there's fair insurance. Powered by many of Ireland's leading credit unions. We call it People. Our new home insurance not only saves you money, it's fast, it's easy and above all, it's fair. Contact your credit union or call us on 0818 as People is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Acceptance criteria, terms and conditions apply. You know what? Whoever said that nothing in life is free is wrong. My mate, One Leg Larry, got a free ticket to a crocodile enclosure last year. Although, up until that point, we just called him Larry. It's probably a bad example, but what about your PRSI entitlement at Specsavers? That gives you a free eye test and free glasses from their €69 range. All you have to do is book an appointment. That's something to smile about. Book an appointment or find out more at specsavers.ie. Working long shifts under extreme pressure being there for patients and for their families. You can't put a price on the work our nurses have been doing since COVID first appeared. But now you can show your appreciation. The Pulse is a one-off tribute newspaper. It costs just two euro and every cent raised goes to nursing in Ireland. It's packed with great articles written by the top names in entertainment, media and sports. So support our nurses and buy The Pulse in the shops now. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 9696. On Cork's 96FM. Like I said, we've had mo- movies made, some of them were very bad, and books written about the concept of a doppelganger, which effectively is a theory that we all have a double somewhere in the world. Doesn't matter who they are or where they are, but somewhere in the world is a double of us all. That's the doppelganger theory in fiction. But there may actually be some science behind it all. Dr. Naomi Lavelle, good morning to you. Good morning, how are you? Good. We're all familiar, as I said, with the books and the movies, but is there some science behind the fact that somewhere in the world there's a double for us all? Um, Well, yeah, there is in a way, if you consider, for example, how we perceive faces, then you could say that, well, firstly, we're probably programmed to look for similarities. Mm. If you think of, uh, from an evolutionary point of view, it makes sense. We want to find our tribe. We want to be sure that we're among those who are like us. So our brain is kind of trained to um, observe similarities within faces, particularly um, 
we might look, for example, we look first at the eyes and the mouth and the nose. So we're actually looking in a particular pattern. We're not really taking in the face in general. We're actually just um, we're sort of creating these 3D maps every time we see eyes of a certain type or mouth of a certain type. And we're building up like a plan or a map. So when we see familiar faces, we might actually be triggering this um, similarity that we've, right. that we've mapped out from another face. Is the so business a bit where you're watching, you're watching television, watching a television show, and your partner says, how would you look at Mrs. O- Mrs. O'Donovan down the road? Because the character on screen is the spitting image of Mrs. O'Donovan down the road. Exactly. Is that, yeah, is that, that brain process? That's right, exactly. So, so they're looking for something in their brain is triggering similarities that they've seen in somebody that they know, basically. Right. That's kind of how it works. Which is why someone might see a person and think they're the double of me, for example. Exactly. Now, uh, we all look at faces a little bit differently too, so it's quite objective, isn't it? Mm. So uh, I remember when I was at college, for example, all my friends kept saying, oh my God, I thought I saw you in the um, canteen and I was coming up to you and then it wasn't you at all. So I had this doppelganger going around for a while. And uh, when I eventually, when they eventually pointed them out to me, I was like, that's not like me at all. So it depends. Some people are actually better at mapping those faces and those little traits, and they'll see the quirks and the differences more easily. Yeah. So where you might think it looks exactly like uh, whoever down the road, uh, you somebody else might go, no, I don't see it at all. Yeah. So it's very objective as well. And you know as well as that, is it just the face, or do we, do we take in movement and body position as well? We do, um, not quite with the doppelganger thing, but you know, uh, uh, in general, we like to match. We take these in unconsciously because we want to match people. If we want to get into rapport with them, it's a natural thing that humans do um, to communicate mm. above and beyond their verbal communication. Now, given the way genetics works, is there any possibility that there is a genuine double for any of us? No, not really. Not really. In fact, any, uh, there was a big study done in the UK within the last few years where they took a number of doppelgangers and first they mapped similarities that they saw on their faces and they did find some features were as similar as you might see in identical twins. But then when they checked them genetically, they found that they had no um, obvious genetic connection. Mm. So it was just the randomness of certain genetic traits coming up or certain features that that look the same. And then, of course, like um, brown eyes, for example, are very popular. Mm. So you have certain features that would come up automatically more so in in the general population. Yeah, yeah. The, The word doppelganger comes from the German, doesn't it? That's right. I think it means like double goer or double walker. I think that's where it comes from. Yeah. Quite apt. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I guess, I suppose our brains, and we all know this, Naomi, our brains are kind of more advanced than the more advanced computer ever. So the facial recognition system that the FBI use, should we have it all in the back of our own head, which is probably, <laughs> which is probably why we start seeing things that aren't there at all. But the way, the way like the chances of there actually being a double of us, um, well, the chances of there being a double of a number of people in the world is quite high, but the chances of there being a double for everybody is a lot lower, if that makes sense. It's a sort of a statistical anomaly. I think it's called a 
coupon uh, collector statistics or something like that. The idea being if you had a jar full of coupons and you were dipping in and taking one out and then putting them back, eventually uh, what's the what's the probability that you'll always pick out one that you're looking for? Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. So the chances are are high enough. As you Psy- start. Psychologically, are we drawn to people that look like us, that have characteristics like us? I think so. Yeah, and, and it goes back again to that um, to evolution and the fact that we want to belong. We, it's safe to be among your people and your tribe. Mm. So we're automatically. Even walking down the street, we're probably scanning crowds. Not that we have crowds now, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah. when we did, you're, you're automatically, not even knowing you're doing it, but you're scanning, looking for the similarities um, to be among your people. So what's funny as well is that, you know, you, you, you meet couples that have been together forever um, and, and you think that they almost grew into each other. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. almost as if we look, we look for people who are similar to us to form friendships with, to form relationships with. Yes, I think I think that's true. We do, again, partly because of the tribe thing. And then also, going back to what you said earlier about um, actual mannerisms and movements, yeah. uh, we're probably looking for that in other people because we're more in rapport with those people. And also, as you live with those people, you're going to develop those little quirks and anomalies anyway. Yeah. This thing about people, you know the way people and they, they, people finish one another's sentences. Yeah. You know, you almost think, hang on a second, are you, like, there's a connection there. Between They're nearly thinking for each other, one brain. That's right, yeah. yeah. We seek, we do, I suppose we, we're drawn to people. We have a certain, I suppose if you were to write down the, the things that you look for in another person to know, can you bond with them or can you gel with them? If we were mm-hmm. to write them all down, we probably find that the friends uh, and that are closest to us in our life, they all tick certain boxes for us. We subconsciously tick boxes in the people sure. that we're drawn to. For sure, yeah. And they could be on so many different levels. The, the physical, the emotional, um, the moral ground, and, and even um, things that we don't look for consciously. Like there is evidence that we can actually, we're attracted to people who have a, an immune system that's compatible to us. There's, really? Yeah, that's right. Give There's me more on that. That's brilliant. <laughs> um, there is some evidence that, uh, that uh, actually I think it was a test done on um, people smelling T-shirts. So a group of people were uh, smelled T-shirts and rated them on how attractive they thought that person was. Mm-hmm. So it was based on smell. And then they feel that it, it actually, um, what they were detecting was uh, they were able to assess the immune system or an element of their immune system of that person so that if you were to have children together, uh, they would have a str- the, the best chance of having a strong immune system. That is fascinating. It is, isn't it? <laughs> you know, we're the most, we really are the most complex of creatures, aren't we? We are indeed. We don't even know half these things we're doing, do we? It's, it's it's absolutely fascinating. So, just finally, I, I mentioned it in passing: facial recognition technology that the likes mm-hmm. of the FBI would would use. And if they're scanning, like, is there, is there a possibility that they could find if so? If someone looks very like me, for example, mm-hmm. uh, is it possible that uh, that that person could be caught on facial recognition when they're looking for me? 
Uh, there is a possibility, but they have the, the technology that they've developed, that AI system. Um, I mean, they have to develop it so that your hairstyle can change, you know, or else your phone won't let you that's in every time you change right. something. Right. Uh, so they have to take in um, aging, uh, general seasonal changes, hair changes, things like that. Um, but at the same time, I mean, there there is um, studies done by a forensic anthropologist. I think she's in Australia. Her team's in Australia. And they actually investigated whether, for example, somebody could commit a, tr- a crime, but they're your doppelganger. And you, could you, you know, could you be jailed for something somebody else does? Um, but what they look for at that level, um, they're literally looking the millimetre difference between your eyes, how close they are together, or the exact shape of the tip of your nose or your earlobes apparently are very um, distinctive. So they take every one of those elements into account. And in that case, they determine that no two people could be identical enough to be um, considered doppelgangers at that level. Gotcha, gotcha. It's fascinating technology. The more you learn about the human makeup, the less you realise you know. Good talking to you. Thanks very much. That's Dr. Naomi Lavelle, who wrote in the Examiner recently about doppelgangers. Do we all have one? Probably not. We probably don't have an identical double. But isn't this? Look around you at your friends and the people closest to you in your life. Your brain selects them for you on the grounds that your brain perceives because they look a particular way that there might be a compatibility there. If you ever want to watch a good television show about doubles and trebles and quadruples and clones, it's a great show and it's got one of my favourite actresses in it. And I think they're up to about series five at this stage now. Uh, she's Tatiana Maslany. I've had a fascination with her for years. But Orphan Black, if you haven't seen Orphan Black yet, uh, you need to start. It's on Netflix. I think the whole lot of it is on Netflix. It's brilliant. And they've won Emmy Awards and all sorts of things. But I just it's, it's about a load of women who look exactly the same. I mean exactly the same. And that's what came to mind while I was chatting there with Dr. Lavelle. Uh, good television. Good binge-worthy television if you want to check it out, if you've not seen it before. Orphan Black. 1850-715-996 on quarantine. PJ, what's to stop somebody going on a two-week holiday to a country not on the list before coming to Ireland? It'd probably be cheaper and they wouldn't have to isolate. Well, look at the, look at the costs. Now, this is the, now, to be fair, they will have to pay for this themselves. Hopefully the taxpayer, the taxpayer actually won't be on the hook for this. And the army will be involved in the transport and there'll be private firms involved in the provision of the services. But the Tifco Hotel Group are the ones who've gotten the contract. And the hotel that they'll be using locally will be, if they're using it locally, will be the Travel Lodge down there by the Magic Roundabout. And for 12, 12 nights that you'll be staying, 14 days, 12 nights... Uh, your single room accommodation, €1,875. For a couple, that's two and a half grand. Remember, you're not, you can't go out now. Like, you're stuck in the place. You'll get your breakfast, dinner, and lunch, and all that, for two and a half grand for a couple. If you have kids, for two kids, couple and two kids, and say in that travel lodge, the, the, the family rooms would be fairly big. 3220 for your two week holiday. So I guess 
on your two-week quarantine. I guess that if you're coming back from South Africa or Brazil, that to go to some holiday place that's not on our list and stay a few days and come back, yeah, it's another loophole. That's the problem, you see. When it when it's not covering everybody, it's got more holes than a Swiss cheese. Great idea um, from Cork Food Policy Council. Uh, you might know that they have this wonderful idea in Deer Park, the housing estate in Deer Park there, for a model food garden where people can just grow their own. And now they want to spread it out a bit. Maria Young is Green Spaces Coordinator. Maria, good morning. Good morning, PJ. That's, that's a big name. What do you do? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, coordinating Green Spaces for Health and I also work with the Cork Food Policy Council. Is that a, a subset of the City Council, as it were? Uh, no, um, with the uh, Green Spaces for Health is... Um, uh, I'm employed by Healthy Ireland, Cork right. Healthy Cities and Niche Community. So... This growing your own thing, I mean, is that, are we looking at, at allotments here? No, it's a different system to allotments, PJ. This is more like community growing where everybody works uh, in the same space. Um, allotments are where you have a parcel of land to yourself yeah. or for your family and you go in there and you do your own work, whereas this is more like people coming together okay. to grow food. So how does the Deer Park model work and then you're going to expand it out? Well, I was approached by a resident of Deer Park uh, last year. She wanted to grow herbs um, in the park in a public area. So I went up to have a look at it and um, we gave her some plants because uh, we also have um, a park in uh, Park Owen down the road where we grow things. and We encourage people to take slips. Um, so when we went up there, we started talking about food and uh, she said she'd love to grow food. And that's where the idea came from then to maybe um, have a community growing food area in the estate, in the housing estate. And Deer Park is um, is great because it's got several green areas. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's ideal. So we chose one that was relatively quiet. You know, it's, it wasn't an area where children were playing. And, um, yeah, we approached the Permaculture College in Kinsale and uh, we got advice there from Donald Chambers. He came up and had a look at the site and he got his students to formulate a plan. And then um, the plan was sent out to the Residents Association of Deer Park and right. they uh, were up for it. They agreed. No, the, the reason I was thinking about an allotment style thing is like, and I know Deer Park, so you've got some fabulous greens in there. And then one person starts and then everybody comes and, and, and pitches in their own bit. But, but then how do, you, how do you manage who benefits from it? Or is it just literally just come and, come and take what's there? Well, um, how they're doing it in Deer Park is on the day, for example, that uh, it was created, uh, the students came up from Kinsale and uh, Cuisine, who's the lady who started the whole thing, she sent out an email to all the residents and uh, whoever was around uh, was welcome to come and help, um, you know, create the garden that day with ourselves. And now what they do is they have regular meetings. Um, they have meetings every two months uh, online at the moment. And what they do is they plan exactly what they're going to grow. That already is planned. Now they've drawn out a map yeah. um, for their raised beds between them. And then they've done a rota and they've kind of had a list. They've, they've put together a list of tasks. And yeah, everybody is welcome, young and old. And it's really well managed. Now, of course, it's year one. I'm sure there'll be a learning in it. Mm. 
but thus far it's very well managed and it's available and it's open to everybody and right. they're lucky that there is a Facebook page for the residents so nobody is left out in the estate. Gotcha. Um, so there's you know. a few spuds and a few carrots and that kind of thing, is that it? Well, uh, the interesting thing is there are different nationalities living in Deer Park and they've all had an input as well. Right. So um, the the raised beds, there's two of them. They're 18 feet long. One of them is going to be manned by children and the other is going to be uh, for the adults. And uh, there's some North Americans living in the estate and Canadians and there's a Brazilian and they're going to try this thing called um, the Three Sisters. They're going to plant corn, which would be very much uh, native to America. Right. And um, with the corn, then they're going to plant uh, runner beans, which would be supported by the corn. Sure. And then at the base, they'll be planting courgettes. So that's an experiment, you know. And mm. then in the rest of that bed, they're going to plant carrots. Um, they're going to plant, let's see, lettuces, mm. um, Onions, that sort of thing. Yeah, great. it's a great idea. And you're looking for more more places that might be interested in doing the same thing. Oh gosh, it would be fantastic if we could roll this out um, across estates all over Cork City. Absolutely, would love that. I think um, it's a great idea now that we're going into spring summer season, yeah. and it's it's quite easy to create as well. Uh, you know, and of course there are loads of benefits to it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, where I live, there's a great big green area right across from. From me, and I'm thinking, right, you put spuds in there and you put cabbages and corn or whatever you want. Sounds like a great, a fabulous idea. So people can email you, I think. Is it Maria Greenspacescork at gmail.com? Correct, that's it. And if people don't have access to email, they can give me a call on my mobile. Um, will I give you the number now? If you wish, yeah. Um, it's 086 yes. 839233 The opinion mine with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96FM. Morning all, 1850 715996 the brought up the subject of placental encapsulation making tablets out of your placenta I want what? and Terry went what? and Fergal went what? so we decided right let's find out some more we'll do that a bit later on you actually can get it done right here in Cork and it's very effective and rather fascinating speaking of rather fascinating did you ever think that you had a double did you ever see somebody somewhere I think Hang on, that's the spitting image of my brother. Or did anyone ever look across a table and say, come here, that's the spitting image of you? We all apparently have, somewhere in the world, in theory anyway, an exact double called a doppelganger. There have been some fairly dodgy horror films, I mean dodgy in that there were lousy films, <laughs> made about doppelgangers. But just like always, in, behind every bit of fantasy, there is a bit of reality. So that's all coming up. And a library... I love this one. A library where you can't just borrow books or records or CDs. A library where if you want to borrow, for argument's sake, a sewing machine or an electric drill or anything like that, you can. A library of things, they call it. And there's a big drive-on now to get one for Cork. All that and plenty more besides. But first of all, I want to go back to where we started yesterday morning, which was Bell's Field and anti-social behaviour in Bellsfield and other places to be fair it wasn't the only place that suffered over the weekend or over the last week or so and John Maher Councillor John Maher tweeted during the course of that discussion that it's about time 
parents took more responsibility for where their 15, 16 and 17 year olds are. And I guess any age, John, parental responsibility seems to be gone out the window in 2021. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are things? Good. Um, yeah, look, I suppose, just to put it in context uh, with that tweet now as well, is that it called for parental and personal responsibility because, first of all, it's not just happening during COVID in the instances I'm speaking about. And these are areas that have been plagued by antisocial behaviour for a long time now, you know, not just in the lockdown environment that we're in, which is frustrating on everyone. Um, but I'm on about places that every Friday, Saturday uh, night from six onwards, people are prepared where you should be preparing to get the pizza, to put on the movie, to have the bottle of wine, the beer. You're preparing to get the WhatsApp group ready for what shenanigans are going to take place for the night, you know, the night ahead. Um, and that's uh, like, and then what's coming back to me and PJ, you know me a long time now, for every one antisocial behaviour that's going on with a young person, we've got nine or ten good things happening, right? But the issue is, at t- this morning as we speak, it's about this minority mm. that are causing and terrorising people. I, I think and it, it almost goes unsaid at this stage, John, that 90% of the kids yeah. are alright, as the old saying goes. You know, 90% of kids, 90% of youngsters, 90% of the population is doing exactly as they're being asked right now in the course of this pandemic. It's the other 10% are causing problems for the rest of us. No, no, it is. And PJ, another thing that kind of gets on my gears at the moment as well is that antisocial behaviour. Kids kicking a ball is not antisocial behaviour. People wearing hoodies is not antisocial behaviour. I, I wear a hoodie seven nights of the week. Um, you know, antisocial behaviour is where estates and communities are being terrorised where things are being burned, where personal property is being damaged, where, you know, I've seen video footage um, of, of of just the states. Every Saturday night, if you go, you can Kinvar and Balabalan, you've Ashmount and Mayfield, you've Lodebeg this weekend, all hit. You know, yeah. all hit. And the bottom line is, is that, yes, we need more Gardaí, and yes, we need community policing. And more importantly, Pigeon, you've heard, I've listened to your show the last two weeks, We're not, we don't have enough enforcement. Yeah. I said it yesterday at the JPC, I'm sorry, the four E's, we do not have enough enforcement because what's happening is that the same thing is happening over and over again. There's a reason why that is and there's not enough enforcement. And all I'm saying is that to get more guards, we're going to need to train them, we're going to need to fund them. It's going to take time. But the one thing that we can do is know where little Johnny or Mary is on a Saturday night. Yes. And in the instances that I'm talking about, it's very clear that these are young people, unfortunately. And all I'm asking is that if parents, if they, I'm not saying, and, and more importantly, if any young person's listening, if you're going to have a bag of cans, put them in a bag and leave them on the side. Don't throw them everywhere, destroy people's property. You know, I, I'm not, I know how things work as well. You know, I was young once, yeah. but it's just burning out six bins in a field and destroying a soccer You see, John, there's an entire chasm between one there and the other and like you say we were all young once we all yeah. loved the few cans of Linden Village in the sunshine of an evening or whatever Judge, whatever we drank yeah, yeah. the cheapest we can get in the off license you know and I know that's exactly what we did right <laughs> but there's a big difference between enjoying a beautiful sunset yeah. with a few cans and then taking some poor misfortune's wheelie bin and setting light to it there's a chasm in there 
Absolutely. And that's the issue. And I, and I suppose, you know, if if you are doing that or, you know, I, I just think if you're in that gang, just just think twice, you know, think twice, come away from it. Um, and more importantly, at the moment, a solution that we have in the short term is parents just being a bit more vigilant. Just And sometimes people are attached to groups and gangs. They don't mean to be, you know, that, and things get out of hand. But just come away from it. Um, but if parents can, I think that's a short-term solution. And more importantly, I, the personal responsibility, because we happened to be at a meeting in um, in Glanmire last week with regards to some planning issue, and there was adults walk through with more drink, you know, than, you know, they, <laughs> it was going to be one hell of a party. Um, and I know that uh, a mum or dad or a guardian wasn't going to tell that age group what to do. So that comes the personal responsibility as well and realising, you know, I get, and I'm sure many other elected representatives get phone calls every week about house parties happening by adults. Mm. So adults are also causing uh, antisocial behaviour. So I suppose the, 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 the team to my text was both parental and personal responsibility coupled with the guardie and enforcement. But I think the, the personal and the parental responsibility is something that can make a really... It can really change things this weekend. Mm. Where we are with regard to the pandemic at this stage, John, of course, you, you, you got to... It's actually this weekend is the anniversary of our first lockdown proper. We had the first restrictions were enforced this time 12 months ago, but the first lockdown proper, the anniversary of it is this weekend. And there is a desperate sense of sick and tired and sorry around there, and particularly among sick and tired of this whole blasted thing. And they also see, shall we say, mis- bad behaviour in high places. They look at things like golf kit. They look at things like the RTA retirement party. They look at other things like that. And they think, ah, to hell with it. I couldn't be bothered anymore. I suppose, PJ, I'm not here to defend anybody that acts the clone and they deserve everything that goes with that. But I look at my, my mum, who's a home help. Yeah. who is still going to work, who all through the pandemic uh, was, was there for, for her vulnerable uh, friends. Like, they're called clients, but I don't, I don't like that word. They're her friends. Yes. Um, she goes to them, and there's many others like her, um, the frontline staff in the hospitals. And I suppose when I get frustrated, uh, that's what I bring, that's what works for me, yes, is that I bring it back to that. Totally. And I am so frustrated. I, I mean, you know, and listen, I did well out of it, you know what I mean? I'm still working um, for, for, I'm still working because I'm seeing where class is essential. Um, I, none of my family got COVID uh, directly, um, mm. you know, so I've done well out of it. This and, and you have months. to mind yourself, you're a diabetic. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. But again, I, 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 I would think that, look, I would say to people that it's well controlled. Well, so I, I don't consider myself in the vulnerable, even though I, I am classed. But, but I say to people is that, look, I'm hope that what, what's getting me through it just as an ordinary person is I'm hoping on the fifth of April that there is some light. I genuine, and I think there needs to be. Yeah, it is. I and and there needs to be. as a public rep, John, I suppose here's the question I put to you: like, it is very important. There's two weeks or a week and a bit away from it now. And I'm sure it's bearing on his mind and it's bearing on the mind of everybody. Michal Martin has to come out on the 5th or the 2nd or the 3rd or the 4th, whatever it is, of April with something to give us that we can say, right, let us work towards that. Because what's wrong now is people have lost something to work towards. You're spot on, PJ. And I I think, and again... (laughs) 
when you look at the numbers for Cork in particular, oh, yeah. I think we've shown how resilient we are. I'll do them again in a minute, but they're very impressive in the wake of what's are. going on. And I think that when you look back to last year and you look back to when there was county lockdowns, when the numbers weren't, let's be honest, they weren't as dramatic. Um, and, and Leash, Kildare, and, and uh, I, I can't remember what the other what the third county was. Of, so like they were, but, but let's forget about that. No, we're, the, we're, we're close to best in class. Yeah. So I don't think we should be penalised for maybe the others where um, where 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 they're not so good. And again, PJ, we still have the quarantine issue. We still have the flights issue. Um, I honestly, if he's <laughs> you know, they all need to be addressed on the fifth of April because people are frustrated. Um, but but again, for me personally, just as an ordinary person, I go back to seeing people that are vulnerable who still are vaccinated yet. Um, and we need to get them vaccinated. Yeah. That's that's the priority, um, you know. So I, I've kind of taken up the cudgels on behalf of our Gardaí, John, on this programme because I think it is absolutely outrageous to be expecting them to do the job that they presently have to yeah. do with no vaccines in their arm. Yeah, I suppose. It, it, look, PJ, it's 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 a tough one. Um, we don't, like, the vaccine numbers... I don't see why it's tough, Shai. It's a no-brainer. It's an absolute no-brainer. There's only 11,000 of them. You could do it in half a day. No, you could... I suppose, look, PJ, I, I always say this about lists, um, is that, you know, politi- I, I suppose uh, the Nessus have made a decision. I could be very I could be very populist and say, yeah, give it to them at the expense of somebody who's 85. You know, I don't have that data. I don't mm. have that information. And PJ, if it was changed, you would have another politician ringing you on Friday saying, "Oh, this eighty-five. So I'm, I, I'm I, wondering about that, John. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to paint you into a corner here. Oh no, no. But it's, it's, I'm wondering about that. This thing, if like, if you take the guards and give them vaccines, who do you take it from? It's only eleven thousand doses. I don't. I, I'd love to know if anybody here thinks that the Gardaí should be a low priority. I'm not saying you do, by the way. No, no, I don't, but I'm not Nesset. This is my point. Yeah. If we're listening to the... Med- no, if we're listening... We can't be... We can't have a la carte. If, mm. we're, if we're to listen to them, uh, like we have, then I think that that, that applies for everything. Fair point. Fair you know, point. And, Fair I, and point. I believe, and I believe that there'll be somebody on again on Thursday saying, oh, that's a disgrace. Um, I'm only listening to medical advice like everybody else. I'm not going to come on here and spoof and throw away one-liners just for the sake of it. No, no. Um, and, and as I said, but we know there's not enough vaccines in the country. We know that. Mm. We know that it's not good enough. Yeah. And let's be honest, no matter what's said on the 5th of April, until the vaccine is in people's hands, it is not going to make a damn difference. Yeah. That's the reality. Yeah. So yeah. we yeah. need to up our game on the vaccines. Everybody, like that, that's, that needs to happen. Um, and hopefully on the 5th of April, there is some, some bright light there, you know, because it, we need it. He has to have good news on vaccines between now and then, and he has to have something for us to look forward to. John, thanks very much. Councillor John Maher of the Labour Party. Parental and personal responsibility. We've been banging that drum here for a long, long time. Parental responsibility. And I'm sorry if this sounds unpopular, but where is your 15-year-old on a Saturday? It is your job to know. Where is your 16-year-old? It is your job to know. I'm sorry. It is. It was mine when mine were 15 and 16. It was my job to know where they were. It's your job to know where yours are. 1850-715-996. few comments coming in on it. Oh, by the way, the, the quarantine booking system is open. 
as of now and the quarantine starts in the early hours of Friday morning. We have a quarantine hotel in Cork. Now, I'm not too sure if it'll be opening straight away, but the one that TIFCO own in Cork is the Travelodge. The Travelodge out there by the Magic Roundabout. And I'll tell you more about the package that's on offer and I'll tell you more about what you have to do if you're coming in from the list of countries during the morning. But it's there, you can book it in. It took only six weeks. Actually, it took a year to do it because Neff had asked for this nearly a year ago for mandatory quarantine. 1850-715-996. What is lovely to see this morning on your newspapers, and it's on quite a number of them, it's lovely to see photographs from nursing homes uh, where people... They've now had their vaccines, staff have had their vaccines, and now it's safer to go into nursing homes for visits. And that is where all those lovely photographs have come from. And let's find out how it's going in one nursing home in particular next. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Welcome along to the program. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Hidden Hearing, tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Educate, explain, uh, Encourage and enforce. They are the four E's. Educate, explain, encourage and enforce. And John Maher says, we're not seeing half enough enforcement. And I can just imagine being a guard, right? And trying to explain, encourage and educate some 17-year-old with a few cans inside them and maybe he's had a joint or two and he's trying to, the guard is trying to do three of these four E's, and your man is just sitting there smiling at him. There's too much of this, with too light touch. Lift them. Lift them and find them. And if they're underage, find the parents. 1850-715-996. As I mentioned, lovely photographs in the newspapers today. Some of them quite moving, when you can see that these are people who have not been able to see each other except through a window or worse still, across a video screen for a year now. And the visits have been able to resume because the vaccination programme, and much as we might knock the vaccination programme, and look, much as we have to trust it will improve quickly, the nursing homes and that sector are now vaccinated, and the number of new cases in that sector has gone off a cliff, which is great. So now we can start visiting again. We've spoken several times with Dermot O'Dolig down at Oak Lodge. Dermot, good morning. Good morning. Peter. A happy, happy day for the sector, I think, yesterday and the day before. Yeah, certainly a milestone and a, and a very, very welcome uh, one uh, for the residents, uh, in particular, and their families. Uh, they're the people who have really suffered. Uh, we've all been with them during that, but they, they're the, the vulnerable and they're the people who've been uh, really, I suppose, cocooned and nearly locked away. It's been a, a terrible, terrible a year uh, for many of them, uh, despite everyone's best efforts. Uh, so they are really, and you could, I suppose, notice a palpable lift in the mood 
I think uh, certainly in Oakland yesterday, and I'm sure in in nursing homes up and up and down the country. Mm. So you've had your first couple of visits, yeah? Oh, we have. <clears throat> we have actually. Uh, the guidance was published on the 11th. And we immediately began to, uh, I suppose, implement it in a phased basis uh, while risk assessing uh, the situation. But we tried to increase or to ease up and, and liberalise the, the visiting uh, uh, restrictions as soon as possible um, after that. Uh, and now it's obviously uh, fully in train. In fact, we had, I suppose, with Mother's Day weekend and then with beautiful weather all last week, and the weekend saw uh, we had quite a lot of, uh, I suppose, people who enjoyed outside visiting and some inside visiting mm. uh, as well. Uh, but uh, as of now, it's uh, more official and uh, glad to be able, delighted to be able to facilitate it as mm. much as we possibly can. So what's the procedure now, dear man, if someone wants to go and visit their relative? Um, uh, visits are still booked and organised as far as they're not just uh, uh, kind of you can rock up and and show up. There isn't the possibility of just walking in and sitting down in a in a lounge area with a whole group of residents. So it's in a in a carefully managed uh, area, a new area that we've uh, I suppose built on or or built within uh, a room, a safe area. Uh, people have to take all the precautions in advance. Uh, they have to confirm that they haven't been in contact and they have no temperature and all of the things that everyone all of the measures we've been implementing stringently over the last year mm. um, so once they've that done uh, they're then welcomed by a staff person and uh, checked again for temperature and all of that and uh, to their PPE put on PPE, appropriate PPE, it's not uh, overly doing it now, it's just masks and hand hygiene mm. and being Can, can I ask why, Dermot and I can appreciate that it must be, and you're acting on, on medical advice. Why is it necessary for masks and PPE to be worn if all of your residents have been fully vaccinated? Um, I'm no medic, uh, number one, anyway, PJ, so uh, I leave that to the medics. But my understanding of it is uh, that a, as a vaccinated uh, resident, they could still pick it up from someone and contract it or we as the staff could pick it up and contract it mm. uh, while dealing with a visitor uh, if they had it and then we could pass it on to someone be it our own families or other visitors or right. indeed so it's, other it's a staff. precautionary principle really as we wait to know how, how like have you been vaccinated damage yourself? Yes, okay. and while while it'll prevent uh, our residents uh, and ourselves from getting very sick with it, it doesn't uh, stop our... We're not certain that it actually totally stops the transmissibility of it. That's the point I want to yes, make. Yes, yeah, we're waiting, we're waiting on that science to come back. So I suppose something is better than nothing. And as I said, some of the some of the photographs on the papers today are lovely, um, w- without identifying anybody. But were there particular are there particular people that you're particularly happy for this week? Um... Uh, really, I suppose all the residents who've been uh, looking forward to a visit. Uh, now, many of them would have had a visit outside and in person outside under the air, I suppose, um, for walks and all that all along. And then a number of them, even from back last March, would have had internal visits where we deemed it necessary on, on uh, or required on compassionate grounds or on medical grounds or on, uh, let's say, where there was any end of life or anything like that. Obviously, it happened as well. But uh, now, I suppose the, the most people where really are those who didn't really understand the lack of visits and uh, because of their cognitive impairment they so they are now able to be rejoined uh, with their families and yeah. we can see again a, a lifting in their mood and uh, more relaxation and their families even more particularly I've met families coming out who just 
could barely talk to me with the emotion yes. of just having met their mother. One lady said to me, I haven't seen her or touched her or been near her since last, uh, I think it was October or September. Yes. Um, and it was just so emotional for someone. And she doesn't know how long her mom will last or anything like that. Um, that woman's husband, uh, the resident's husband, kept uh, in the following day as well. So it's just, uh, it's really, really heartbreaking to see that and really delightful to see that they can be rejoined again. And while there's masks in place, yeah, we're encouraging it, but we're not, you know, that we're not requiring residents and uh, we're not coming between residents and their families in any way. We want to facilitate yeah. every possible interaction. Perspects and windows are gone anyway. Yeah, sure. no, look, there's one of them still on a table. There's a table between people if they want to, yeah, but there's nobody going to go to stop them sitting you know, next to each other. Of we're course. advising them to take as many precautions as they can of course. just in case, because we're all a bit nervous, you know. You mentioned the people with the cognitive impairment and one of the saddest calls I took, I think, John, in the course of, or sorry, um, Jimmy, in the course of the whole year was that this, this man whose, whose wife was not long gone in, into a place, um, but she had obviously her, her, she was cognitively impaired and he wept as he told me that she now thinks I don't love her enough to keep visiting her. Very, very, very difficult. Uh, and that is what many, many families have felt. And you and I know how many people I suppose, have promised or their parents may actually have said to them, oh, make sure you don't ever put me into a nursing home. And that's the reality that we're all dealing with. And uh, yet um, those who, who are require it, sometimes the it does become a safer option than trying to mine someone and, and damage your own health at home yeah. uh, to put someone in a place like Oak Lodge. And yet we can never care for the person as much as the family, but if we work together in partnership, certainly we can we can improve it and make it safer. But for people like that, who I know a, a woman who I suppose her husband had to go into care just at the beginning of this, and it was just so traumatic. She felt like she abandoned him. He probably he did feel abandonment. We had to go very easy and make special allowances for that. It was a very, very traumatic time. So uh, we do reassure, of course, the, the residents on a daily basis and more often, uh, you know, that their families want to visit with them and want to be with them. And we try to facilitate FaceTime, all the other things. And since now that we've had maybe 98% or more of our residents and staff vaccinated, we are, of course, uh, trying to facilitate more and more uh, visits uh, outside up to now and internally now as well. Um, and I thought we were one of the lucky ones in a way we, you know, thankfully all our residents are COVID free to date. Um, and we will certainly keep up all the stringent measures uh, that uh, have been in place for the past year uh, without compromising, I suppose, the quality of those visits. You know, we don't want to come between, be in any way coming between families and, and their visits unless it's absolutely necessary and risk assessed on that basis. Okay. All right, listen, uh, thank you very much and uh, for the great work that you continue to do and many more like you in that sector. Dermot O'Dolic at Oak Lodge Nursing Home. It must mean so much. And if you have been, thanks Dermot, if, if you have been to, to see somebody and you'd like to tell me how it felt to go to see them for the first time in, in many, many months, um, I'd love to hear from you because there's nothing like hearing it from, from the person themselves. What was it like? I'd say there are not words there. There's a lovely, lovely photograph on the front page of the examiner of a couple married for 40-something years. And the smile on her face would light up a coal mine. It's it's just lovely. Lovely, lovely, lovely. 1850 John says the guards will wait their turn like everyone else 
and rightly so. Yeah. Okay. Andrew, PJ, what happened over the weekend in Bellsfield was deeply upsetting and frightening for those elderly people that reside around the areas of Audley Place, Ratmore Terrace and Sarsfield Terrace, as if these elderly people aren't worried enough for fear of getting COVID. What's more disturbing in my mind is the lack of guard, the presence, as Bell's Field is a two-minute drive for the, from the Watercourse Road station and a five-minute drive from Mayfield. And don't give me the usual guard there cop-out of the lack of manpower. There was no problem whatsoever rounding up hundreds of guards for that Jerusalem dance, which in my mind was an insult to their colleagues on the front line, saving lives day in and out. Right. There was a group of anti-maskers in Middleton on Saturday last in a park known as the Baby's Walk. They went and they're in their 30s. I passed them. The poster said we should all be hugging and a whole lot of other nonsense. There was a lot of young people in that park at the time and it really worried me, said Joan. Yeah, and there's another flipping shower of bozos planning one of these get-togethers at the National Monument on the Grand Parade on the 3rd of April. I wonder if the Patriots remembered in the National Monument would would view what's going to be gathering under them with anything other than disdain. I wonder if those statues could speak what they'd say. I'd say they'd say, go home, you shower of gobshites. 1857-15996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 20th to 22nd. So we're asking you to share your story and make a big difference. Share your story and make a big difference. Every year, brave Corkonians tell their cancer stories for Radiothon. Now you can play a big part by sharing your cancer journey. Find out more by emailing radiothon at 96fm.ie. The Giving for Living Radiothon, May 20th to 22nd. Raising money for Cork Cancer Services. Oh, take care, take care of you. A lot of people still speculating on travel and quarantine and the fact that this half-baked, half-arsed, half-finished quarantine scheme, my words and I'll stand over them, won't work. And all the experts who we spoke to from around the world where they've done it have said the very same thing. It won't work. It's half-baked, half-arsed and half-finished. Starts on Friday. Friday, a year after it should have started. But anyway, we'll come back to all of that a bit later on this morning. 1850-715-996. Reading a, a story in the echo of a man who really has been getting on with it in many, many ways for the last number of years first through a very debilitating illness of his own and then through the tragic loss of his wife. Sean O'Leary, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. Sean, first of all, my condolences on the loss of, of Rose. It's it's still very recent, isn't it? Yeah, um, Rose passed away on the 26th of October after suffering um, cancer for 14 months. Right. And... Um, she fought a hard battle, but unfortunately, they got the better of her, and she passed away in the in last October. Yes, yes, and and you, you're still trying to deal with that. 
yeah, it's, it's very, very difficult. And with the help of um, our coach, um, they're helping me. They're helping me big time, like you know. Oh, they're wonderful mm-hmm. people. They're one of our radiothon partners. Yeah, wonderful people. Sean, talk to me about your leg because Rose was your support right through that. You went through so many years of pain with something yeah. that I've never heard of. What happened to you? Yeah, um, in about 2012, I started developing pain in my in my foot. Um, it was mainly when I was asleep at night time. It was a strange one. Like, and I was just getting this very, very strong pain in my heel. And... Um, it would go away and start coming back and coming go, coming and going for a number of months. And as time was going on, it was lasting longer and um, a lot more painful. Like you know, so I went to I went to uh, my GP and he referred me to the Mercy Hospital, and um, they brought me in and they were running different tests and they said there was a tumor in my heel. And when they done further tests um, and biopsies, they discovered it was a disease called chronic osteomyelitis, mm. which is rare enough, like, you know, and um, they discovered it was back to a, a cut that I had in my heel uh, the following summer, uh, the previous summer that yes. I, I got in Yall. And um, it was... Um, it was um, just a disease that had developed and it was probably gone a bit too far when I went to get it checked out. The, like, bone, you know. the bone was literally dissolving, was it? Oh yeah, yeah. When, wow. when they done the biopsy, they were basically checking to see was uh, the tumour was a cancerous or not. But when they opened up my, my foot, the bone just started pouring out. Crikey. You know, it was gone so... Well, I, I, I refer to it as mush. You know, but um, it was gone. But really, the whole bone was just just falling. The pain apart. must have been excruciating, Sean. Yeah, at that stage, it was it was just chronic. Couldn't sleep, um, couldn't bear anything on my foot, shoe, sock, even bed clothes. Um, couldn't take anything like that. It was just so so painful. Crikey, Jenny, God. Yeah. And eventually, you you lost the leg from the knee down. Why, yeah, why did uh, they have to take such a radical approach? Well, during during the years before I lost my 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 leg, they were running. They, they done numerous operations to try to save it. They basically create, tried to create bone by taking putting calcium beads inside there. Then they done a bone graft from my hip, brought it down into into my foot. The disease at that. But with with chronic osteomyelitis, when they first tested, um, um. They, nothing showed up at all, not even in my bloods. So when they decided that they were going to take my leg, um, they had to go further up because they weren't too sure whether that disease was after travelling further up my leg or not. And so they had to make sure, and they just took it. I was about, about three or four inches from um, just below my knee left. Right. You know, so they took a fair chunk of my leg away. Like, you they know. did, they did, they did. And... I imagine that the trauma of losing that, at the same time, you probably woke up pain-free for the first time in years, did you? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, about about three years before they actually talked it, they, they suggested to me that there was you no know, strong possibility of the leg going in, 
it was then that a fright me. You know, I was saying, my God, this is this is going to be totally life changing altogether. And um, I, I got, I don't know, it, it it really really got to me. But as time was going on, and everything they'd done, and they did try everything. Now I have to say, PJ, um, whether I was in, I was in, whether I was in Cork or Limerick or Dublin, they were the main places where I went to, and they'd done everything they possibly could. But then when they decided that it was, it had to go, yeah. it actually came as a relief to me because I was getting nowhere. I was piling on the weight. I was in constant pain all the time. And I just thought to myself, right, this is this is going to be the end of um, what I was going through. Yeah. So it was relief at the end. like that. Uh, that well, it wasn't up to me. It was the doctors decided. Like, so they took that responsibility away from me and and today I'm, I'm grateful that they did like. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Rose was your support through all of this because obviously you couldn't drive. You really yeah. walk, let alone drive. Yeah, Rose Rose was just phenomenal altogether. Um, let it be day or night time. I remember one night uh, I had I was going to Dublin for test to see this this um, consultant in Dublin, and I was actually in the CUH at the time. And Rose had to pick me up in the CUH at three o'clock in the morning, drive me to Dublin for an appointment at nine o'clock in the morning, and then drive me back to the CUH as well. She she's done that numerous times. Whether it be Limerick or Dublin, she she was, I just she was just phenomenal altogether. Like support she gave me, and like even if I just got a little twins in my leg, she was running me to the hospital straight away. Like you know, she was just unbelievable altogether. Yeah, yeah. Now, how did the fitness drive start then? Well, I sort of, um, it was by accident, really. Um, my younger son, Kyle, he he was interested in, in joining kickboxing, right? And he's an extremely, extremely quiet young fella. And um, he was on to me all the time. And I said, right, let's take him down to... Um, a local gym that we knew of, uh, SBG, yeah. in the North Point Business Park. And uh, Kyle would be the type of fellow that would be easily sort of swayed away from going for what he wanted. Like, you know, he's he's such such a quite young fellow. And so I said I'd go down with him. So when we went down, um, there was a guy on the desk there, uh, Brendan Russell is his name, um, and I explained that Kyle was interested in, in joining um, kickboxing. So... Brendan took all his details and like Brendan probably obviously looked at me and he saw that I was grossly overweight, you know, I was over 20 stone at this stage. Yeah. And um, Brendan just said to me, he said, what about yourself? And I just thought, he doesn't realise I'm, uh, I'm an amputee. And yeah. um, so I said it to him and he said, so what? He said, that shouldn't be governing your life, like, you know, if you're interested and you want to lose weight. Why don't you give it a go? So I said, okay. And um, he got me in touch then with one of the owners, um, Marlene Griffin. And Marlene rang me and I went down for the fact that something they joined that week to, for my first training session. I was, being a, I was a bit nervous, like, you know. Yeah. I was grossly overweight and I was wearing a prosthetic. And I was saying, I'm going into this gym now with super fit people and, you know, I, you know, thinking that everybody's going to be staring at me and all this other yeah. stuff, 
and it was just total opposite. I yeah. brought in there, they didn't, they did they just saw another guy that was in there trying to trying to lose weight and trying to get fit. They didn't see a guy with a prosthetic. They didn't see a grossly overweight fella. They just mm. saw a fella that was trying to get fit. You, you were, I you were, my first session, and yeah. I, I thought, I can't believe I just got through that. Yeah, you know, you were, you were over twenty stone. Yeah. What I are you now? Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm thirteen stone now. Crikey. Yeah, I'm thirteen stone now. So it's hard, hard going, PJ. It's not, it's not easy, like you know. But, um, but I just the motivation that I got from home from Rose and my two boys, plus. Um, the people in the gym, you know, um, like Marilyn Griffin and Liam Oak, they're, they're the two owners of the gym. They were unbelievably yeah. supportive. I've spoken to Liam Oak before. He could motivate a stone. Oh, he could. <laughs> Liam, is, Liam is unbelievable. He's he's so knowledgeable in the area of fitness and 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 um, martial arts and stuff like that. The guy is just he's just unbelievable. Like you know. Yeah. And then lockdown came in the first lockdown and. I was saying, oh, what am I going to do here? I, I need somebody to motivate me. And Rose was saying, you can do something at home, you know, just keep it going now. And then Marlene and um, and Limo got um, a few of the trainers that were below there, uh, Liam Singleton and, and, and Will Gary, to basically contacting me every day at home. What was I doing now? How was my nutrition going? Give me different exercises at home and stuff like that. So I kept it going, you know. I kept mm. going. There was days I didn't want to do it. Yeah. You know. But they say they it. say that the day you don't want to do it is the day you absolutely must. Oh yeah, definitely. And it's actually probably ends up be the best training session you'll have. Yeah. You know, because basically when you come, when you finish your training, you come away and go, do you know something? I'm absolutely delighted I done that. Yes. Yes, you didn't want an hour ago or two hours ago. You were sitting there going, "No, I couldn't be bothered." Yeah. Me backside, yeah. and two hours later, you're going, "God, I'm glad I did that." Yeah, you feel more energetic and yeah. you feel positive in yourself and, and stuff like that. Like you're doing result. you're doing a triathlon now. You you can't run, so you're going to walk a five k. But you're doing a triathlon. Um, I think it's in Rosa's memory, is it? Well, it's um, well, see, up to the week before Rose passed, Rose was still pushing me to to um, keep my training going, right? She saw that I was after losing a lot of weight. And I know deep down Rose was saying, um, I need to be there for the boys, you know? Um, Because of what I went through, she was very concerned. She knew in her own head at that, well, probably at the very beginning, she knew that she was going to get through um, what she was going, what she was suffering from, like, you know? Mm. So she was sort of pushing me to make sure that I was, I got healthy and, and fit the best that I could, you know. And um, so I'm keeping it going. Well, I'm also trying to get a proper proper prosthetic as yeah. well because the prosthetic I'm using at the moment is basically for, for walking. And Yeah. I've I, seen a guy, there's a guy lives not too far from me and I've seen him running yeah. on a prosthetic. Um, and that's the kind of thing you want. You want the, you want the, the, as yeah, you said, the, I, I, the deluxe model. Uh, yeah, I'm sort of like on the stage where um, every time I train, I just think of Rose, and I know she was saying, "Keep going, keep going, keep yeah. going," and like to keep going, I set challenges for myself all the time now, PJ, because it keeps my mind occupied and it keeps me focused on on um, on different things. 
because there's times when you're, you're sitting at home, your mind starts overthinking and you get yourself down an awful lot. Like, you know, can I cope without rose? Can I do, can I do the, the normal things and stuff like that? So the training for me you now is basically give me some headspace and it motivates me to move on and to try to keep fit and to, and to, to achieve different goals and targets like, you know. Yeah. You've got a fundraiser going and we're sharing it on all of our platforms to try to raise a few bob for the, for the new that, prosthetic. Um, it it must have made a hard year even harder oh, yeah. losing her in the middle of it. Yeah, it was, it was very, very difficult, um, PJ. Like, you know, she was going down... Um, at, like, she, she was very, very positive, right, up to um, August even. Yeah. Right, that she was going to fight this, and she really was doing a big battle. But every time we went to to uh, get um, see um, Professor O'Reilly, who, who was our cancer doctor, it was very rare when we got good news. It was always like it was spreading and spreading. But she always came out where I was. I'd start rolling crying in the surgery, and she'd look at me and say, "You need to cop yourself on now. We'll fight this as well. We'll get through this." But her battle. Like, we, we renewed our marriage vows, our 25 years marriage vows, on the 26th of August. Mm-hmm. Um, and she died four weeks later. And and did you know at that stage? That she was going to pass? Yeah. Honestly, did not. Um, I we, She was getting, she had got brain scans and they discovered that the tumours were gone into her brain and they started radiotherapy on her brain and I remember on a Tuesday night, I got a phone call from the CUH to say, can you bring Rose up Wednesday morning? We want to do further tests. And we we went up and um, we were sitting there and they were doing various tests in and out. And at two o'clock, they told me that um, they were going to keep her in because they were concerned with her bloods and, and, and other things. And I just said to Rose, okay, look, I'll go home. I'll get your stuff together and... I'll come, I'll, I'll be back up. Yeah. And the doctor called me aside and he said, I'm sorry, Sean, we're at level five. You won't be able to come in to see Rose anymore. Oh, no. And, I, oh, my God, it broke my heart. Like, you know, and I was talking to her on the phone that night. And um, you could hear in her voice that she, she wasn't, she wasn't the Rose that I was talking to at two o'clock. Yeah. You know, she started going downhill at that stage and, and um, she passed uh, five days later. Oh. You know, and I just saw her then the Sunday night before she passed. The doctors called me to say, um, come up. Um, we think you better come up there as soon as possible with your two sons. Um, I don't, we don't think Rose is going to make it. And she died following day, quarter to 11. Oh, you poor old man. You poor man. You poor boys. Yeah. It's very, very hard. Yeah. Yeah. And you were married 20, 25 years, and yeah, she'd been she'd been the one that dragged you through your illness, and well, she was so supportive. Like she wouldn't, if she was going through what I went through, she probably wouldn't even went to a doctor. She either just soldiered on and, and done her own thing. Like, but when it came to me and our two boys, if we just said we'd have pain in our head, she'd be running us to the doctors immediately. But when it came to herself, she was she was like the old fashioned guy, and we meant, you yeah. know. Yeah. And look everybody else look look after everybody else first. Yeah. 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 That's exactly the way she was, like, you know.
Yeah, well, you know, Sean, I think you should be should be very. Pr- I saw the pictures of you in the Echo before and after. She'd she'd be very proud. Well, she was my motivation, PJ. Yeah, and she'd awesome. be very proud. And we, as I said, we it's called. If you want to go to GoFundMe, if anyone's GoFundMe, it's Sports Prosthetic Fundraiser on GoFundMe. I wish you every success with it, and and I know, I hope that this gets easier for you as you go on. You know. I really appreciate that. Not at all. Look after yourself, man. You too, PJ. My best to the boys. Take care. Thank you, Sean. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.